Welcome to the Wise Guys Podcast. Wise Guys is your home to interact with the worldwide community of BYU fans in a variety of ways. We're your hosts, Dave McCann and Blaine Fowler. What you're about to hear is the audio recording from our weekly live broadcast. We invite you to join us for the show live every week to chat with us and with other BYU fans. You can find the schedule and watch live at wiseguys.com. That's ysguys.com. Thanks for listening and go Cougs. Happy Tuesday. Wise Guys is here on the last day of February. We're ready to usher in March, one of the most exciting months of the year. Dave McCann, Blaine Fowler, the Wise Guys from our undisclosed location here in Provo, Utah. And we welcome everybody in around the world on Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, ysguys.com. We got a lot to get to tonight. Yeah, I worry about security because I feel like we're giving more and more hints every week. <laughs> the helicopters of where above our undisclosed are location alarming. is. People are eventually going to figure it out. So, hey, it's tournament time in Vegas. This week, you and I are heading off. Tonight, we'll roll out the lineup for the WCC Championships at the Orleans Arena. Everybody's got a fresh start. Yeah, coverage, yeah. It's a new year. What, what, was, the, what was the phrase you used today? Um a new beginning. Yeah, it's a new beginnings, but we're not talking about young women. <laughs> no, it's, it's, new, it's not it's, the other young women. It's new program. beginnings for everybody. Dave and I will be down there um, along with Kristen and Spencer, and we'll be calling uh, all the way through all the, the games, semifinals yeah. and on the women's side and the first two rounds of the men's side. Jerem Jordan and Tyler Haas will be down there yep. for the, uh, the bridge shows. Yep, all the bridge shows, all the halftime shows. So, so it'll be the it'll be the full battle station of BYU TV for the last blast. In the WCC. Yeah. And and people don't know this. We were just talking about it the other day. We went down and did our first WCC tournament the year before BYU was in that conference. We we wanted to give them a little glimpse of what a we gift. could do. It was a gift. We went down and did that tournament. So we've been doing it longer than BYU's been playing in it. And this is the last year before we make that transition to the Big 12. We'll walk in there and they'll go, you guys are back. We'll say, we're like Indiana Jones. We just keep coming back. Yeah, Indiana Jones Part Thirteen. Yeah. So, but but we'll give you a little preview on uh, on both the men's and women's side on on who the Cougars will face and how, you know some of the matchups in that tournament. Spring practice just around the corner. Uh, BYU defensive tackles coach Sione Pauha, right? Pauha. 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 Right, so, there's a H. ha in there. Pauha. Well, and here's the thing: you're supposed to pronounce every vowel, so it's P O U H A. So it's Pauha. Right? Yeah. If we break it down. That's exactly so, right. That's exactly um, how we're... We might say it several different ways tonight, but, but, but we're, we're getting it we're right. Gonna, he's going to join us in just, it's just a few minutes, about 6.15, so stay with us. And uh, we're really excited to have uh, Sione on with us. Uh, and change the mentality of that defensive line. It's We've had really all fun. the new assistants yep. on, starting with Jay Hill, and we saved the best for, for exactly last. Exactly right. And that's and why we're doing that. Cougar running back, a uh, former Cougar running back, Kalen Hall, will join us. Father of quarterback Jaron Hall, who will beat the NFL Combine this weekend. Lots to talk about. Not just about what Jaron's up to and what he's doing. We'll get an update on that, certainly. But we're going to reminisce a little bit with Kalen yeah. and uh, talk about what it was like. Like, what great running back did he face head-to-head? -head? Marshall Falk. Oh, yeah, that's right, Marshall Falk. And they Falk. both Just had Marshall great Falk. games. We're going to talk about that. And, you know, Sione had some big NFL moments we're going to talk about tonight yeah. as well. Yeah, we'll Member of the Jets, the good Jets. Yeah, the good Jets, which for a kid that grew up in New York, those are hard to remember, <laughs> and they're very few and Let's far Let's see, between. there was Namath and Sione. Those are the two that's names the two, behind the good two, Jets. There were two times the Jets were good in my <laughs> lifetime. It was when Joe Namath was there, Broadway Joe, and then the couple years that Sione was there. So... We'll, we'll, we'll reminisce about some of that as he, well. Here's the headlines as we say hi to everybody getting on our live stream around the world. Bring your questions tonight. We've got a lot of good stuff. Uh, men's basketball, they finished the regular season 17-14, and 7-9 in the WCC. They route San Francisco Saturday 87-61. to 61. They did a lot of good things 
in that game that should help them coming up Friday night. Yeah, momentum will be carried in. First of all, let's talk about Rudy Williams, who scored 21 in this game, including 15 of 16 from the line. He really pressured that that defense for San Francisco. They did. They couldn't handle him. They couldn't defend him without fouling. Um, that's the first start for Rudy in a long time. And Mark Pope has been talking to us for weeks about the tremendous contributions that Rudy's been making off the bench. He's been playing really well off the bench. The great leadership he's brought from off the bench. All of that Mark's been talking about. And it finally came time for Rudy to get back in the starting lineup. Made a big and, difference. And he was Awesome. So Rudy was, I think, one of the big stories. Fusini Traore had 17 points and 14 rebounds, just 10 turnovers, 22 assists on 30 made field goals. But I thought the the big indicator going into the tournament, especially, is BYU, when they're motivated, can out-rebound teams that are taller than them. And they out-rebounded San Francisco by 20 yeah, rebounds. 42-22 on the glass. BYU was just a more motivated team. Um, they made shots. And this game snapped a four-game skid. Um, they get some momentum as they go into the WCC tournament. Um, it also, may, they could have been the seventh seed had they lost. Um, or, it, it, you know, certain things that happened on Saturday could, could have been the eighth seed. They secure that number five seed, um, it, which means they don't have to play on opening day. That's the big thing. But yeah. almost more important than that is the matchups on the side of the bracket they are that they're going to get as a five seed so much more favorable and uh, you know that the the three teams that they're likely to face the the three teams that they could face I should say um, in the first two rounds they've had great success against this year and frankly I think BYU can beat all three of those teams so they'll play the winner of San Diego and Portland, right? Yeah, BYU Sports Attic chiming in on the live stream going, you know, they they one thing he's noticed about the basketball team, so much potential that just haven't been consistent. Right. And uh, and and having a good game Saturday and and coming out and having another good game on Friday would be back-to-back good games, which they haven't had many of this season. That will be crucial heading into Saturday yeah. and and then, and then uh, who and knows? all the momentum. So you and I have San Diego Portland on Thursday night at seven, um, we'll, we'll we'll be broadcasting that, and and then at nine thirty we also have that the seven seed Pacific against ten Pepperdine. You and I have that game as well. So Pilots are two and zero against San Diego, and the Tigers are two and zero against Pepperdine. But those are two toss up games. Yeah, they really are. And frankly, of all of those four teams, the one that I think BYU struggles with matchups on the most is Pepperdine. Yeah, the ten for seed, sure. right? So see, it's more about sometimes matchups than seeding, right? And so they won't face Pepperdine or Pacific uh, because they'll get the winner of the San Diego-Portland game. I feel really, really good about that. Then Friday night, you and I will have that second round. Um, we'll get the San Diego-Portland winner versus BYU. I, I like BYU's chances against either of those teams. They beat Portland, and they beat San Diego. Yeah, San Diego 68-48, so they beat them by 20. They beat Portland 71-58. Um, so... And Portland had a few guys missing in that game, so that's maybe not the same Portland team. But the matchups are good for BYU. And then you and I will have that 9-30 game, Mountain Time, Pacific and uh, Pepperdine winner versus San Francisco, who we're familiar with. We just saw them the other night. Yeah. Um, and that, that will lead to Saturday's corner finals, where if BYU were to beat, let's say it's Portland, who won both against San Diego this year, um, then, then BYU would, would play against LMU on Saturday at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. And BYU lost at LMU 
uh, 64-59 in a game where they, you know, they had the lead, they had opportunities, they lost the lead, they came back, and they, they lost in the end. But on February 2nd, so the most recent game at home, BYU pounded LMU. Yeah. 89 to 61. I mean, it wasn't even a game from the get-go. BYU just ran them out of the gym. I like BYU's chances against LMU. And then you and I, uh, that, then the 10-30 game would be the Pacific Pepperdine San Francisco winner against Santa Clara. Yeah, Santa Clara's the team I don't like BYU's matchups and, with. And BYU doesn't have to, they're not on their side of the bracket. On Monday in the semis, BYU would be on the path of St. Mary's. That would be the early game on ESPN at 7 Mountain Time. Uh, Gonzaga's the two-seed. And they will get um, likely Santa Clara, but that's the the nightcap. And then the championship game is seven o'clock Mountain Time on Tuesday on ESPN. So that is the men's setup, and it's the top dogs are at the top. Everything else is wide open. Right, and, anybody can beat anybody. And we've seen BYU, you know, to to BYU Sports Addicts point play really well at times. And you know when they've played their best? Against Gonzaga and St. Mary's. Yeah. They, they seem to elevate their game against really good competition. And uh, I like their match. Like, say they get to Monday, which is not out of the question. Now, do I expect them to beat St. Mary's? I don't expect them to beat St. Mary's. St. Mary's will be on nine days rest. I, I would expect them to beat a Portland or San Diego. I would expect them to beat an LMU. I don't expect them to beat St. Mary's on Monday. But would I be surprised if they did? Absolutely not. They've matched up with them really well. They just haven't been able to finish games. If they could somehow carry some momentum into that game and figure out how to finish and make some shots down the stretch, that wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility. And then they'd face um, likely Gonzaga. And, of course, Santa Clara is solid too, but but Gonzaga handled Santa Clara during the regular season. So probably Gonzaga on a Tuesday night. I worry about Portland. You were, Because they're getting some healthy bodies back. They're all healthy now. They weren't healthy when they came here, and BYU struggled. Beat them by 10 on their home floor, but they didn't have, uh, they didn't have Robertson, who's uh, an all-league performer. Uh, they didn't have two other guys, and, and I worry about them on Friday night. We'll see. We'll get a look at them Thursday. And, uh, but, but Portland is, is a headache because they've got size and they have guards, and um, that's the one. That's, I, I, I think I, I worry about them against Portland more so than LMU uh, because they beat LMU, as you mentioned, easily at full strength. And Portland, they, and it was a long, long time ago, back in December, and they didn't have their guys. Yeah, and I feel like Portland didn't finish well. Even when they got some of the guys back, I feel like they didn't finish great down the stretch. And, and you know, and BYU didn't either, right? So <laughs> you know, to say, hey, Portland came in where they lost a bunch of games – so well, did BYU. So did, so, so did BYU, and that, that does concern me. Um, I, I feel like BYU did kind of right the ship here um, in this last game where they played terrific basketball. But um, I was just, just going to look at, like, Portland's down the stretch just to give you an idea who they played uh, down the stretch and what they did. So, so they lost to Pacific last, last week, 81-77. San Francisco beat them 89-92. Um, Santa Clara beat them 103-84. Yeah. Um, St. Mary's beat them 81-64. So now, I'm, I'm telling you, all these games they just lost, but they just played Santa Clara, San Francisco, and Pacific, all, all good teams. They were they were close in the, the Pacific and San Francisco games. Um, they weren't close in the Santa Clara, and they weren't close uh, in the St. Mary's game. And then they beat Pacific, because uh, their meetings were just five games apart. Um, back on uh, on the ninth. Yeah, that'll so, be an interesting yeah, Friday night. So they, it's interesting since they got healthy with everybody but the top three teams, they've been close 
but they haven't been they haven't figured out how to win those games. That's why I that's why I think BYU, even if it's a close game, um what BYU just did Saturday, I think, helps them a bunch. Got to figure out how to do it again. Right. Women's basketball is 14-15, and 9-9 nine and nine in the WCC. And they played on Monday, yesterday. Portland beat them here 61-49. to 49. Portland had some travel issues uh, back on Thursday, so they moved it to, to Monday. But Lauren Gustin had 24 rebounds. And in that game, she set the single-season rebounding record at BYU, passing Tina Gunn, who held it for over 42 years and Lauren was here a couple of weeks ago uh just she just continues to rebound that's what she does so you and I were at the game we weren't calling the game but there were some people that weren't familiar um that were sitting right behind us and one of them looked up and said um does she have 20 rebounds (laughs) and we go yeah but she's going to get a bunch more because there's still some time left in this game and uh, and she ended up with just a mere 24 in this one Women's pairings on Thursday in the first round. It'll be the eight seed Santa Clara, number nine Pepperdine. All these games on BYU TV. Number seven St. Mary's and number 10 LMU. The winners go to Friday. Santa Clara and Pepperdine will play BYU. Whoever comes out of Santa Clara and Pepperdine, they will play BYU. And then uh, Pacific will host the the nightcap. Uh, Quarterfinals, San Francisco and San Diego. Those are the four and three seeds. They'll be waiting for the winners on Saturday on BYU TV. Monday's semifinals where the top seeds come into play. Gonzaga and Portland. BYU's in the line of Portland. Right. Beat them twice. Although the game was tight yesterday. Um, they'll have to go through the pilots, and then uh, it would be fitting to have another game with Gonzaga to wrap up the league because BYU's women's team and the Zags have battled almost every it's, year. It's been a big time rivalry. It's a, we got we got to hand it to, to Portland though. We and we talked to Coach Meeks after the game um, Monday night. Um, they've been playing without their starting point guard for the whole second half of the season, and his daughter. Uh, has filled in and been really, really solid. But yeah. but but they lose their starting point guard, and they still finish second in the league. And it's because, you know, I have a rooting interest because my niece is on the team. Right. So Alex Fowler is one of the best Who players. Who probably will be the player of the year. Yeah. Should make a case for it. Yeah, one of the best players in the league for five years now because of COVID. She could be the only five-time first-team all-conference player probably. in WCC history. Not many, of, not many people get five yeah, and, years. And, and, and she's actually, we should explain, she's not really my niece, but... But um, she was so good her freshman year, and we were doing the tournament, and we had Portland a couple times, and she came up to, to do an interview, and I said, hey, Alex, I'm Blaine Fowler. I'm your uncle from Utah. And she thought it was serious. She goes, really? And I said, <laughs> no, not really, but if you keep playing the way you're playing, I will claim yeah. you from this point forward. I heard you. She's all right conference there. every single solitary year. So when we saw her on Monday night, I said, hey, Alex. And she turned, and she looked at me, and I go, your Uncle Blaine, she goes, oh, my gosh, yes, of course. How are you, Blaine? And she, and she talked to me and gave me hugs. So I, 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 even though she's not my niece, outside of BYU, I, ha- I have to root for Alex Fowler, my, my adopted niece from Australia. She's a great player. So you can see her on BYU TV on Monday. Some football news as we bring in our guest tonight. Uh, spring practice starts on Monday. That's March 6th. That's next Monday. Crazy. And uh, the NFL Combine for Jaron Hall and Puka Nakua is Saturday in Indianapolis. For Blake Freeland, it's on Sunday. We've got BYU Pro Day uh, coming up on March 24th. So if, if the, the players that aren't in the Combine, and in fact, some of the guys from the Combine do come and do some of the things in the Pro Day for BYU, maybe to improve a time or yeah. show something they get to, to show. Um, uh, we're going to have uh, also later in the show, Kalen Hall. 
Jaron Hall's father, and he's going to come talk to us a little bit about Jaron's preparation uh, for this week. We'll ask him about his ankle, see right. how that's coming yeah. along. A BYU spring scrimmage is March 31st. We're going to cover that on BYU TV. So we're going to do the spring scrimmage. Most of the Big 12 teams do this, so we're going to put that on national television, that spring scrimmage, um, and that's going to be really fun, and that's followed by one of our favorite events, right? The alumni game out at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Dewey Gray, who was on the show, uh, committed on Instagram that he's playing in the game, so number five's coming back for uh, another time at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. We're excited about that. Still waiting for the announcement on the quarterbacks, although we, we, know, we know who we they know are. We know who they are, and I think, Sione, do you saw, we can't say, because the athletic department told us not to say who the quarterbacks <laughs> are for the alumni game yet, but um, you guys were looking at the rosters for that today, Gavin told me, so. It's um, going to be fun. Oh, it's going to be we, fun. We, let's just say uh, the quarterbacks playing in this game are as big time as they get. Yeah. We'll just say you're going to want to be you know, be at the stadium. Our first guest tonight is the new defensive tackles coach at BYU. He's got a lot of history with the Cougars. He played eight seasons with the New York Jets. Zach Wilson's on the Jets. His parents were immigrants from Tonga. BYU head coach Kalani Sataki was born in Tonga. His wife's maiden name's Kafusi, and there are seven Kafusis that have played at BYU while other Kafusis coached here. So it's only fitting that he comes out of retirement to coach at BYU. It's a pleasure to welcome Sione Puhuha to the Wise Guys. Welcome. I love it. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Tell us about what Bula is. Let's just get right yep, let's to Let's get right to it. What is it? Bula. How did you create it? What is it? <laughs> well, Bula uh, originated uh, around about 2008 and actually uh, takes root in a, a kava drink uh, that originates from the South Pacific. And so just to make it a little bit more simpler and easier to get to, I just thought, hey, let's try to develop this. And I uh, called my agent. He had a buddy who worked for Pepsi for a long time, called him and just asked him the process. And he kind of mentored me through it and kind of took that all the way to about 2012 so you've created your own beverage yeah pretty much yeah and how much. can people buy it uh well it's no longer in production anymore but at the moment we have we were in smith's we we're at mavericks uh, we were at sea stores and and gone from from utah to arizona to nevada california even all the way back to the island of tonga and so we we got pretty widespread but but after after playing it was kind of just that's kind of you, you retired else. the project <laughs> yeah dave thinks he invented doc, diet dr pepper he thinks he invented that. Not the diet, the real stuff. Oh, that's right. He yeah. won't drink the diet. Okay. No, like, Blaine likes the diet. I, I drink the diet. Would we like Bula? I think you would. Yeah, I think you'd enjoy it. it tastes a little bit like Diet Dr. Pepper a little bit. Oh, we might, really? We might, yeah. have, we might have to try we'll it. We have to track I some down. I haven't tried the kava it's thing. Gotta, you gotta, it's got to be on uh, but, Google somewhere, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, somebody's probably vintaging it yeah. somewhere. When, when, when I heard that Katie was part of the Kafusi uh, clan... They're, that's a family that our family is really, really close with. Yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering the connection. How is she related to all the Kafusis that everybody knows around here? Including yeah. the mayor of Provo. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Including Michelle. So Michelle's uh, husband, Steve, his dad, his name is Betelol. And my father-in-law, Isi Kafusi, so they're first cousins. Okay. So their dads are brothers. They all come from a, from a little village called Koloa in Vavau in, in Tonga. So if you know all the people from there, they're, they're related. And so that's how the Kafusi clan is, is put together. And so that's how my wife is related to the Kafusis that play. That's here. a little uh, better than the, the story of Vi Sikahama tells that everyone's his nephew. Uh, right. Yeah. Like every <laughs> single. We, like, we call him on it sometimes. We're like, okay, Vi, how is, how is Sione your nephew? He's like, well, it's just too, it's too complicated. We're like, Vi, you're not the uncle of everybody from Tom. So when, when Jay Hill was named the defensive coordinator, he calls you up. Yeah. You answer the phone. And when you answer the phone, you are a retired football coach when you hung up the phone 
Were you still retired? How'd that conversation yeah, go? Yeah, I, I take it into consideration, right? So we were going out to, to St. George, and, and I knew that the, uh, you know, there were a couple people who were applying to be the defense, uh, to be the defensive coordinator at BYU. And so some of them gave me a call and said, hey, you know, what are you thinking? And, and Jay was one of those guys. And so I didn't really think too much about it. So yeah. my family and I went for a quick staycation in St. George, and Jay called, and he was just asking where my head was at. And, and, I just really kind of just felt his energy, right? And so Jay obviously had some great history with him. He was a, a GA while I was up there as well and just kind of um, like revealing what he was thinking, his vision, yeah. and I just got caught up in it, and uh, it's been a great thing ever since. Did, how did, how did the, when you hung up and you're caught up in it now, how did you explain that to your wife? So my wife was on the phone call as well. <laughs> oh, so, she, so Jay said, I need to talk to you and Kate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Smart so that's man. That's a smart, smart man, right? So both of us were in the room, and, you know, he just talked to us about what he thought, you know, his vision, and, uh, you know, paired with what Kalani had, what his vision was. And so, I mean, there it, it just a bunch of energy about it, and I attached to it, and it's something I took a lot of interest in. And so my wife and I were just talking, uh, as, as we always do, it's always a family decision. So we brought the kids in yeah. and uh, you know, said, hey, I'm thinking about going to coaching. And... <laughs> You know, they were like, oh, dad, you're going to leave. And I was like, well, uh, this is the place where it's going to be. And so things just started to unravel and started to happen after that. And now we're here. So how, the kids grew up on, on Utah football, yeah. obviously. What do they think about that? Are they like, whoa, wait, we're... We're going to BYU now. Jay has history. Jay grew up in a BYU family, which he never <laughs> revealed until he was long gone from Utah. But he grew up in Lehigh, and his folks were BYU folks. And yeah. so this was just like a coming home for him. But, but you went to Utah and then went on to the pros. Um, what was that like for the family? Well, uh, you know, for our kids, I mean, obviously they've grown up as Utah. So we, my wife and I got married. We had our two oldest boys at the University of Utah. Yeah. Um, and so they've always seen dad, uh, you know, wearing the drum and feather. So kind of everything was always Utah entrenched, right? And so uh, after, you know, years playing, then we, we came back and getting this phone call, I asked my kids. Uh, but I think they kind of saw past because they kind of saw like, wow, dad kind of has a little bit of energy. Like there's something a little bit different yeah. about his aura, right? Yeah. And I was like, dude, I, I want to be a part of this, right? I, I want to be able to contribute as much as I can. And so with our our family kind of took a vote. We, we always, we've gone through this process before when you're coming from Navy to University right, of Utah when right. I coached that Navy. So we brought the family together, got on the bed, and we're like, hey, hey, here's the situation. What do you guys think? And so all our, all our kids were like, so we everybody closes their eyes and we say, okay, everybody's going to vote, right? From one to 10, like, where are you at? <laughs> you know, where are you at with this decision? And uh, everybody voted a 10 out of 10. Oh, oh that's good. That's awesome. Now, here's, here's the other thing is, is that we called our son, who's on a mission in Birmingham, Alabama on a Monday, and yeah. we told him about it. And he was like, wow. That, that's a change of events, right? <laughs> he was a little more surprised. Yeah. And so he says, uh, you know, just just trying to really absorb all of it, right? And then he calls the following week. And and so we just, you know, we got his, uh, he wasn't a 10, he was a thousand. He was like, dad, I just love the way you feel. I like I like your aura. I just like the energy. I like your excitement. And so that that's what kind of sold everything. And, and so we're, we're all in. Awesome. That's awesome. Now, you mentioned Navy, and, and you coached with two dear friends of mine. So you coached with Kenny Nimatololo, who, who I've known for years. Um, his son Va'a played here. We got yeah. to know Va'a. What a yep. great human being. Yeah. Va'a is really good friends with our son Gavin that you coach with now. Yeah. Um, 
And, and so you had a stint there, and then you were up at, at Utah with, with Kyle Whittingham, who was my roommate. Lived, we just lived right down <laughs> over here. Don't and, disclose and, the location. That's right. Yeah, Thank no, you, Coach. We won't tell because <laughs> sometimes we get pretty loose. Well, well, I have to tell you, Nancy still lives there. Drives around <laughs> yes. the neighborhood in a golf cart, and so and we see we see her. We love her. She almost prevented Brenda from marrying me because she told her she should. What are you doing? <laughs> committing to one guy? You're too young. I was like, you're killing me here. But uh, but I, I'm interested to know. What you took from each of because two tremendous coaches and, yeah. and, and Kenny and, and, and Kyle, what did you learn from your experiences with those guys that will help you now as you start a new chapter? Yeah, first and foremost, just great legends, right? There are, those two names are going to go down in history as, yeah. as legends in coaching football. And so it, it definitely was an honor for me and a blessing for me to coach under both of them. The number one thing that I, the, the core denominator that I can learn from both of them is being very authentic to who you are and your methods and how you deliver that and owning your vision, owning your values and being able to develop that through the culture that you have. And so both of them in their own right have been able to do that, really identify, hey, this is our vision. This is what we believe in. These are our values and this is how we practice them. And so being very authentic, very real, very genuine, you feel that from them. And that's why they produce the way they produce. And so uh, being authentic to who you are, understanding what your values are, having clarity and being able to deliver that uh, is something I learned from both of them very well. So Sione Pauha is the BYU defensive tackles coach making his debut on the Wise Guys. We're live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, and wisesguys.com all around the world. When you communicate with defensive linemen, is it different than the other players? What, what is the key to, to their development in the trench? Well, I think... <sighs> Except for kickers, because we know they're <laughs> But we're talking about regular players, okay? Regular players. Yeah, with, well, you know, it's it's just what I've talked about with Ken and Kyle, right? Is really having a culture in that room that will um, that that will feed the behaviors that you want, right? The, the type of mindsets, the type of attitude, the approach to the game. And so, uh, you know, in our defensive room, we definitely have a vision champions alpha have that type of mentality and then have the values that support that and then every single day just practice that every single day right so for us our values are just being tough being physical and being skilled and so we go every single day we just try to practice what we what we preach what our culture is and then hopefully that that shows up in who they are and then we're able to perform that way so so spring spring practice starts here next week um how how do you feel about that group up front uh that you have and and what what are some of the key things that you feel you need to work on during spring ball to get this group ready to play in the Big 12 next fall? Yeah, well, you know, we've had seven weeks of lifting, so we've had a chance to be able to implement the culture and the, and the mindset that they need to have. Now it's time to take it to the next level and put it with the X's and O's. Now we're starting to inf- install defenses and starting to understand offenses and start to get into the schematics of things. And so now just piecing all those together in terms of, of building, right, the, the the product that you see on Saturday really is just days of just engineering and refining and engineering and refining. And so spring ball just gives us another opportunity to throw in that element of X's and Y's going against offense and defense and, uh, and develop in, in that way. So that we're in that phase right now. As for the schematics to stopping the run and stopping the run was a big problem last year. Where does, where does it start? Where does a good run defense start? Uh, being assignment sound. 
right? Being assignment sound, understanding where, where your fits, where your responsibilities are and being able to execute the right technique to be able to take care of your job. So with our guys, we give them an assignment and uh, we give them uh, an alignment, an assignment and a technique to be able to do it. And so you got to do You got to be meticulous in being able to do that. Okay. Where, where do I line up? What am I responsible for? And how do you want me to take care of it? And so as a coach, what we got to do is just really just sharpen up on that. So being very sound in terms of your assignment, alignment and technique. So that, we, that, but what about big, mean, and nasty? Do you have that, to be that those comes three? Into it too, right? <laughs> yeah, you know that's kind of the motor behind the behind the vehicle, right? You, you got to have all those together. And so for us, again, like I said, you got to be tough, and that's where the meanness comes in. Now, for tough for us is a little bit different on defensive front. We're, we're really just talking about performance over the weather that comes with a football game, whether you're playing in Texas in 110 degree right. weather, or you're playing here in winter, or you're playing third and short and so toughness really is be, being able to be elite at the different weathers that you have in football and so that's where the toughness comes in and so it doesn't matter if it's first and 10 on the first drive or we're in the third overtime game right you should be able to be able to perform that but that happens in january and so that's spring ball is a good time to be able to say okay here's the next phase where we can develop that toughness and siona and i were talking before he came on and we have a common friend one of my old teammates that he met when he was with the jets bart Oates. yeah, yeah. Um, and bart started at center for the giants and won a super bowl there he's a pro bowler he goes to the niners he was super bowl there and he's a pro <laughs> bowler with the niners so a great legendary player now he's with the nfl players association but when you talk about meanness and toughness um anybody that met has met bart Oates goes no that guy couldn't have been like He's the nicest guy in the world, right? He and Michelle are the nicest people in the world. He's just so mild-mannered. But that guy cr- just stepped off that white line onto the <laughs> inside of that white yeah. line. Once that mouthpiece went and, in. And he was nuts, right? He would dominate people and just with a smile on his face, just be running people into the ground. And you're thinking, wow, he's actually got a screw loose and he's really nasty. <laughs> um, is that something that somebody's just born with? Or can you teach that to these D-linemen to... To be good guys off the field, but to be able to play with emotion and passion on the field. Somebody like Bart, you're just like, man, that dude has a gift, right? Yeah. Well, I, I think it's just a really, a really sharp, sharp knife, right? You've been able to really just get really good at your craft. And then when you get out there, that's what it looks like. But to them, it's, it's a work of art, right? It's, it's a way that they perform. It's a way that they execute their plays. And so for us, it looks really violent, right? For, for Bart Oates and for great players who are able to do that, for them, it's, it's their masterpiece. It's their profession. It's how they do things. For us, we th- see a lot of guys colliding. Right. But for defensive linemen, we see guys colliding. They're getting half a shade. Their hands are in the right place. Their feet's following them. Their frame is all together. So for them, it's really it's it's really melodic, if that makes sense. It's there's really a method and a flow to it. We had Kelly um, K-pop on Kelly Papinga. Yeah. Was it last week or the week before? I think the week before. I think so. And we were talking scheme with him. And we said, what differences will people see? He talked about and I want you to explain this for the interior alignment a little more. That in the system they've run in the last couple of years, um, there was more where the D-line would have to come off and try to be violent, but control the offensive player and then read and flow. Um, and he mentioned that Jay's philosophy is a little more, hey, you got one gap, get up field to the gap and create havoc. Um, what does that mean? To, yeah. to people that are listening and watching us tonight. Yeah, so, you know, a lot of people think that we just kind of collide. When, when we talk about, like, gap integrity, make sure we, we get our fix. And now... 
Rex Ryan would like me saying fits because he doesn't really like. <laughs> he doesn't use that word. <laughs> he doesn't use that word. So we have different assignments, right? And so for us, uh, you know, we we have one and a half assignments, and so we're assigned a gap, but we're also assigned kind of like an offensive lineman. We've got some guys in the back we got to protect, and so we're not only taking a gap, but we got to make sure that we disrupt the blocking combinations that happened. So we're not just in there, just hey, we're just going to fly straight because what happens is then the offensive lineman will come back and go to the to the linebacker, and so you get a hat for a hat. Anytime offense gets a hat for a hat, it's a win. So for us, it's disrupting the blocking combination and at the same time keeping our our gap integrity kyle's defenses over the years and morgan runs the defense but i'm still calling it kyle's defense right yeah um and kalani's when he was there um the the inside backers make a bazillion tackles this is the reason why right yeah. because they don't get offensive linemen comboing down to them they're too engaged with the block eaters up front, and then those backers can flow freely and quickly to the ball. Is that the concept? Yeah, I mean, that's part of the concept. You know, with with the linebackers, they you know what they what they read, they they attack what they read, right? Mm-hmm. And so they've done so much uh, game study, and Enna does a great job. Uh, you know, Kyle, being a linebacker himself, understands that. Hey, once you read, go and hit it, right? So it's a combination of my my ability being. Re- my ability to read it, but also my guys up front give me the time to read it, and then when I read it, just fire. Right, yeah. If that makes sense. And yes. so that's what makes it stout. With Kalani, the, the marching order has been get bigger, stronger, faster, because you're going into a league that's bigger, stronger, Absolutely. faster. So when you recruit a kid to BYU, where do you start? Um, there's, there's a lot of different factors that go into, you know, recruitability of someone, right? You, I mean, you can look at the, the measurables, you look at the size and right. the, those are obvious factors, but you also look at the blue, at, at like kind of the footprint, you know, what kind of footprint do they have with us? What kind of connections? Um, and so we, we get those players. So once we find that fit, then we start the recruiting process, right? So a lot of it has to go with evaluations and wish there was a cookie cutter way, right? But everybody's kind of cut differently. Everybody's recruited differently. Uh, everybody responds differently to different things. And so that's very important for us to be able to go know who the player is, know who the high school is, so then we can know what the approach is to be re- to, to best recruit. Them. So we've heard you're a great recruiter. So <laughs> So a kid gets to you and he might be on the fence and you're going to talk to him about why he should play at BYU. Uh, and you've only been at BYU for a few months. <laughs> yeah. But you know the culture and all of that stuff. Absolutely. So how do you do it? You find out what's important to the person, right? And you, you got to do a lot of listening. And so you sit down there, you, you got to realize what's, what's important to the person. Because sometimes as, a, as an older person, you think we, we do know kind of uh, insight to the future, but only they know what they like. And so if you yeah. take uh, in recruiting as much as we give out, Right. We just have to take in as well, like take in as much information, know what they like, know what makes them tick, know what interests them and be able to build, formulate all the great resources we have here at BYU to say, hey, we've got the exact fit for you and I'm going to set it up for you. Okay, you're in business. Okay, here, here it is. You want to go into this department? Here it is. Right. And so it's really just listening to what they want, what the parents want, what their needs, solve their problems. Now we're kind of getting into business ethics, right? Yeah. Find the problem solve it for them, give them the solution and say, Hey, I'll be right here to help support you. Yeah. yeah sign a, me up. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in. Uh, Sione, uh, Pauha is on the wise guys, uh, with Dave and I tonight. We're so glad to have him here. He played for the jets between 2005 and 2012 after being selected in the third round of the 2005 NFL draft. So now we're gonna take you back in time. 2008, you bring down new England's Matt castle for your first NFL sack. Do you remember that play? What happened? Uh, actually, I don't remember that play. That's your How first. Can, come on, sack. that's the first one. 
I think I think I was just happy to get off the field and tell the truth, man. Yeah, but you know, those are memorable moments. You know, when you get those sacks, I'm sure I pretty I have the ball up in my office kind of kind of hanging in there. Mm-hmm. But you know, when you get a sack with, with those guys and it, when you get a sack period from a defensive tackle, right? Especially in my position, because I was I was a zero. So oh, true yeah. two gapper, right? Um, it's always it's always one for celebration for sure. When I talk about blocky, he says he's a zero two gapper. I mentioned block eater like that. His job was to just eat up blocks and steamroll people back. Oh, that's, so, that's not an easy job. So the first sack is kind of in the gray area of uh, of, of remembering. Let's go to 2011, a little more okay. recent. You tackle Kansas City uh, Jackie Battle in the end zone for a safety. Yeah. So what was the feeling you had bringing a guy down in the end zone? Oh, yeah, I knew the play. I knew what the play was going to be. Is it going uh, to be like a direct run? And so I already knew the blocking scheme. And so, yeah, I just is that just from the scout yeah, process? Just yeah, just, okay. just, just from studying film. I knew what the block, you know, I, I knew when they were backed up, what their number one run was going to be. I so they give coming. him the ball and you're going. Yeah, they gave him the ball. And as soon as I knocked back the center, I was like, oh, there he is. Right, Let's just go ahead and take him down. I thought I had a good celebration. I just waved at the crowd. I remember my nephew was there. And my wife and kids were there and so uh hey there's yeah, two some, points some good memorable yeah. points yeah hey when you when you know the scout and and you know what you're doing out there with confidence you make plays we we were talking to max Tooley um about his pick six in the bowl yeah and uh he's like well as soon as they went to this formation and when the guy motioned away i thought this is this play and he <laughs> says so as soon as the quarterback raised his arm i just broke on it and took it for six and we just thought Preparation, right? Yeah. Preparation, preparation gets it done. Yeah. Kyle Van Noy is going to be on the show next week. Awesome. There's another guy with instinct. Oh, yes. my and goodness. Preparation. And preparation. Yes. Yes. Found a way to be wherever the ball yep, is. Absolutely. For a long, long time. I always say you can never outperform your preparation. So yeah. make sure that's up there. That, that's good. That is good advice. You can never outperform your preparation. Well, you finished in the NFL with 263 tackles, four and a half sacks. Was there a, a specific play that you remember the most? Not really. Is now, you were, you were in two games where if you won those games, you're going to the Actually, Super Bowl. yes, I do remember, right? So, <laughs> so Ben Roethlisberger, right, he's, he has to score first. He has to get a first down, right, in order to finish the game, eat the clock up. If not, we're going to get the ball. Mark Sanchez and the team marches it down to be able to win it for us. And we were just rolling. I mean, we had Santonio Holmes, General yeah, Cotri. Good team. A uh, really good team. And so I just remember wrapping around, and I was running after Ben as far as, I, you know, as fast as I can. And I pushed him out of bounds, and he just lobbed it and then ended up getting it to the tight end for a first down. Oh. And I looked up, and I said, wow. You know, that, that that's one for the books, man. Big Was he man. as hard to bring down as he looks like on TV? Yeah. He's, uh, just just a that big guy. guy. Yeah. He's a large human being yeah, for that, that position, that, that right? That can move as well. So Yeah, he was. Yeah, especially in his younger years. He could, he could yes. for the size, he was the crazy skill. And, you know, you served your mission to Pittsburgh, so yep. it all comes full circle. You're trying to get full circle. the Steelers out of the Super Bowl. <laughs> one thing you've managed to do is balance your faith with football. For all of these years, even now as you serve in the stake presidency yeah. uh, in Draper, yep. um, how have you managed to do that? So I don't think it's a balancing act. I think it's a centering act, yeah. right? You put your faith at the center and then everything kind of revolves in it. And so things either fall in or fall out that are supposed to happen to you. So if, if you know, and I've, and I've been asked that question about, you know, how do you balance it with, with right. what you're doing? And I think the most appropriate um, word would be that more, more centering it. How can you center your faith, make that the center of your life so that all the decisions and all the, the priorities around in your life fall into that faith 
of those values that you that you have faith in. And so, did NFL locker rooms make it harder, or was just not a no, big deal? And I think that's just really in the movies. You know, when when you're in the NFL and you're in those locker rooms, you got a lot of mature men in there, right? You yeah. got fathers as well, and everybody knows that hey, we're there to feed our families. And so, um, I know the movies and stuff might you know have a lot of flair and stuff going right. into it, but there's there's a lot of great men in there, and there's great diversity in those NFL locker rooms, and everybody appreciates everyone, everybody respects everyone because everybody can learn and have value from each and every uh, person in that locker when, room. When you were with the Jets over that time, um, I'm assuming guys knew that you were a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. It sounds like they respected that, but yeah. people knew, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, that's, did, that's, did you have any fun reactions? <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, they they were like, "Wow, we've we got a twenty four year old eighty uh, eighth draft pick. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what is this guy going to do for us?" And and I just said, you know, there's probably some some values that I learned on a mission really early on that I could probably, you know, help out with the team. And so, you know, just being an older guy and having kids that were already in uh, elementary and stuff. So, you know, that was kind of fun. But again, s- such a all the locker rooms are so diverse. I mean, you're dealing with veterans have been there for for twelve years. I mean, yeah. I went in there. Curtis Martin's in there. Kevin Mawai. I mean, you've got some some wise heads, and then you've got some younger guys and so everybody just learns to really just appreciate and support each other we, we have quite a few people that live back in the metro new york area what, where did you guys live when you were with the jets so we lived um we were first at hofstra okay i got right. drafted by herm edwards um right. and so we we practiced at hofstra um home of Wayne Corbett, you know, and all right. that. And so, you know, Ty Pennington. And so after that, then we moved over to Florham Park. That's when we moved over to Jersey. Yeah. So I played at the old uh, Giants Stadium and then now at the Meadowlands. And so I was part of that transition that took place. Was so, Via State present back there in your area at the so, time? I think so, yeah, because he was in, he was in, uh, in Philadelphia. Yeah. And so, you know, that was just a, a train ride away. Yeah, 90 right. minutes away, yeah, really? Just, it, was, it wasn't too far away. And so, you know, going from Herm, Herm Edwards to Eric Mangini to right. Rex Ryan and kind of going through all it was really fun to, to have all those experiences. Sione Puha is on the Wise Guys tonight, former state champion at East High School in Salt Lake City. Leopards won it in 1996, which presents this question. BYU went 14-1. and one. They're ranked number five in the country that year. So why didn't you go to BYU? I didn't get recruited by BYU. Really? Yeah. Mistake. Yeah, obviously, I, right? Obviously. Well, did it tick you off, or were you just, hey, you know what? I'm East is right next door to the U, yeah, and that's what I'm going to do. You know, Coach Ron McBride, a great recruiter, you know, a great friend, yeah. just just a great connector with people, and so I had developed a great relationship with it. But I never, we never, I never got recruited by BYU. My best friend is Jason Kafusi, yeah, uh, brother of, of, and so both of us went to East High School, and so we didn't really get, we didn't really get anything interesting yeah sometimes we just miss down here yeah you know you do miss right sometimes sometimes you miss you just don't you just don't know or you but i but i love the the 20 i love the 2022 recruitment for sure (laughs) that seemed to work out (laughs) yeah i'm glad someone called you yeah yeah so and ronnie mack like we've had some great interactions with with ron over the years like when he and lavelle were in the driver's seats um the rivalry had a tone to it that was really fun yeah you know they and those two were dear, dear friends. Yeah. Um, yes. And and that kind of made it fun. And they'd rib each other. Yep. And have fun and they would with have each those, other. They'd have those magazines, right? Paint the town red. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Blue, it was. And- it, it was a great time. And then it got it kind of where it was like almost like an ugly, ugly rivalry for a while. Um, it feels like I wonder if it feels like this to you as well that with Kalani and Kyle, who are also really dear friends, that the civility of the rivalry seems to, maybe not for some fans, but in inside. Um, 
you, the coaches are, are friends across the board, almost all the in-state schools. Do you feel like it's a little kinder and gentler outside of the fan bases with this rivalry with Kalani and Kyle? You know, home? granted the history and the connection that everybody has and kind of like the cross-coaching and this guy's been experienced here and stuff like that, still got to understand everybody's competitive. Right. Yeah. Right. Everybody's still competitive and everybody's still trying to win that game. And so when we get on the drawing board and or, or we have an opportunity to be able to compete, there's still that competitor at the core right. of all of it that happens. And, and you know, amongst all the fanfare and stuff, it's really about, hey, let's compete, man. We want to compete. Speaking yeah. of the competition, you're a freshman at Utah in 2001. Oh, I, yeah, I remember this one. <laughs> you watched Gennaro Guilford make the game-winning interception in front of a sold-out Lavelle Edwards Stadium to seal the win for BYU. If someone would have told you at that moment that someday you'd be coaching with Gennaro and for BYU, you would say, "All right." <laughs> I, I never, I never really, I never thought in a million years. Yeah, right? you know, I never, I never. When I was, uh, you know, when I kind of went away from coaching, when I went away from University of Utah, I, I never ever thought that this would ever happen. Right, I, ten months after that, Kalani would call me, and all the transitions would take place, and. Tom Homo and the team would give me a chance to 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 be. I never would have imagined, right? Yeah. Um, I take it back to the faith part, right? right? Put that at the center. Don't balance it. Put it at the center. Follow it. Follow that as a guide, and things will come into your life. That if things are supposed to happen, people will come in. Events will happen. You'll have great mentors and tutors like like Kalani, Ken, and Kyle, and and all those things will happen. It's it's fun because they had a family council on the bed. Too, yeah. Right. Which right. is keep it at the center and have a family council and the good, the good things were happening. You were back in 2003, played a role in the lowest scoring game in stadium yeah. history. I remember that game. That I worked that game. game three to nothing. And the Utes win in a snowstorm. What was yeah. that like? out? And that was a miserable day. But. Yeah, that was, right? Yeah. And, and so it was really snowy. I know Paris Warren got really close to scoring a touchdown, and he slipped. Um, uh, but, you know, it's three to zero. And that, that game is always a great game, right? Especially when it's at November, right? right? The last right. game. And it means something. Yeah, and it means something. And it's always great to be able to have that. And when you, when you could have competition like that, you know, it's, it's all the more for the fans. But, you know, that, that was a cold game. Yeah. I remember. <laughs> yeah. And it was colder for BYU fans because <laughs> when you're ahead, it's not as cold. We've, we've learned that in many broadcasts over the years. Yes, where it's like yeah. weather's miserable, but it's a little worse for the team that's behind. <laughs> yes, that's for sure. That's All right. for sure. Let's do five questions. We'll get you okay. out the door. Kalen Hall's standing by, and All we're right. excited to visit with him. Yeah, we always do. We always do the, the five questions. You're just you don't even think about them. You just okay. answer them quick. All so right. whatever comes up. So this is how people get to know you. Although I feel like we got to know you really well. Okay, yeah. Yeah. having here for the last thirty awesome. minutes. Favorite sports movie. Rudy. Who just last week said Rudy? There's a lot of Rudys. Who was on last week? Dewey. Derwin. I think Derwin Gray, Gray said Rudy, okay. too. So, favorite singer or band? Ooh. Fiji, the artist. Fee I, okay, now this is what I don't know, Fiji. What, yep. ki what kind of music is it? So, it's uh, like island reggae, and he's one of the legends that yeah. kind of okay. uprooted that. After, wow. after he uh, gets hopped up on... Uh, Bula, he's able to play his... his <laughs> Bula is a Fijian word. Interesting. I was, so we were over in Oahu um, a couple weeks ago, and uh, I decided I wanted to listen to more island music, so I put on Common Kings, and then the kids, yeah. are like, the kids are like, Dad, Common Kings have a really cool island vibe, but they're from SoCal. 
if you want to listen to somebody from the islands, put on Jack Johnson. I'm like, what? Yeah, Jack Johnson. And Jack Johnson's yep. from the North Shore. Yep. I'm like, and okay. He's, and he's Jack Mooney's buddy, man. Yeah, there so, we go. So, so I, I go, so, on that one, I'd go double, right? So I'd go Fiji, and then another Islander guy would be Josh Satofi. So, okay, Josh Satofi. Okay, I'm going to try, try both. Okay. Favorite breakfast cereal? Ooh, Rice Krispies chocolate. Chocolate Rice Krispies. Yeah. See, now, nice. you went, when you just went Rice Krispies, I was a little disappointed. But right. when you added the chocolate, I'm all in. So Because then you have to dump so much sugar yeah. on it yeah. if you're eating them yeah. straight. The Rice Krispies takes like six teaspoons of sugar to make yeah. them okay. So, but the chocolate, you're all good. Okay. Favorite Kalani Sataki moment? Favorite Kalani Sataki moment. Okay, so here it is. So I, I think it was like 2007, 2008. It was that Kansas City game. We come back, and it's the off season, right? Mm-hmm. I walk into Kalani's office, and he goes, one of these days I'm going to get a chance to hire you. Really? Is that, is that right? Yeah. And you said <laughs> at the time. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah, of yeah, course, coach, yeah. You know? And, I, and I'm, I'm still playing. He's still coaching up there at Utah. Yeah. And I still remember that comment. And I was like, okay. It's, it's, and then you know when 2015 happened and things happened, I was like, okay, maybe, you know, maybe. And then it just fate just happens. So when you walked wow. in the door, having accepted the job at the football <laughs> office, did he go see? Did he I remind you? you, or did you remind him of that moment? I haven't even reminded him. This will probably you gotta be the first time. Yeah, yeah, you okay. got to remind him. Yeah, you got to remind him. I'm sure so. he's he's had a lot of conversations like that before. Yeah, awesome. Do you have, do you have a favorite quote? We'll end with that. A favorite quote uh, from Kalani. You know, there was a quote that he gave at the bowl game. I think it was during media day talking about Christ being the center and mm-hmm. what we represent. And I, and I love that. And it, go, it kind of goes back to the faith thing. Right. right. And, uh, you know, him being the, the foundation. And I, I just I just love the ability to be able to share the things that you're faithful about. Right. Just because you're faithful about it. Not as a proclamation to say, hey, everybody should be like, hey, this is what makes me tick. Right. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. having him do that. And uh, those are some of the things that I get excited about. Right. As, as they call it. So and, and it can and it can be right out there where you're coaching now, which Absolutely. is really neat. Yeah. And it's in fact, it's embraced and expected yeah. at BYU, which yeah. is a really neat culture and environment to be part of. And Kalani's made that way. Really cool. I liked I liked um, uh, Sione's I, I, the the um, it's a philosophy that you can never outperform your preparation. Yeah. That's something to remember too. Yeah. I'm going to remember that yep. as well. That's a great, yep. that's a, keep, keep your, your faith at the center of everything that you do. Don't try to balance it. And then um, when it comes to playing football, you can't, you can never outperform your preparation. That's a couple of great learnings for us. Today. Thank you. Plus it's, it's nice to meet a nice warrior. Hey, okay. Because <laughs> you have to be a warrior at tackle in the NFL. Yeah, yeah. Right? You just have to be. Yeah, yeah. And yet, how can you be so nice at the same time? <laughs> I don't know. I guess it just works itself out. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, because he can take out all his aggression on the field. And, 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 and if you play that many years in the NFL, you don't. You can just leave it all. And then you can just be a normal person. Well, kind of like, you know, like I said before, for us, it looks like aggression, right? But to the... To, to, to the to the person, it's a martial art. It's an art, right? right? How they how they kind of go through it. Like we'll see, we'll watch boxing. We'll say, "Oh, Mike Tyson's up," but dude, he's like really philosophical. He's he's got his timing right. There's a plan. So, yeah, yeah. He has a plan, and the way they just carry it out, just like a mar- martial artist. Beautiful. It's great to have you here. Welcome you. back, or welcome it. to Provo. Thank you. Yeah, we and love being here. Well, welcome good. to where you good. should have been. In what year did you graduate from high school? 1996. Uh, yeah, 1996, so, and, 97. And 96. So. You, that's where you should have been back then. Someone <laughs> made a mistake, but all mistakes come around 
to where they're supposed to be, and now you're where you're supposed you know, to be. Granted, everything happens for a reason. I'm really right. glad to be here. And that preparation, sure. the path you took, prepared you to have a tremendous impact here. We're excited for I'm you. I'm looking forward to it. We'll Thanks see so you at practice. Much, Thanks, Coach. Appreciate it. Thank you. Great to have you. Sione, the defensive tackles coach at BYU, and a uh, big star at the Jets, and um, and uh, just a, bigger than life. And, 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 and Blaine, you and I have heard all the stories. The guys resonate around him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And 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 we we already hear players and 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 I run into some of Sione's guys. Um, they're they're at work at extra time, um, and some of them are married, so they're not just going to Vasa to find girls to date, right? They're actually there with their spouses lifting. Yeah. I can tell you, Tyler Baddies, uh, Elena, his wife, she's not tall enough to play D line. But that girl is in unbelievable shape and has one of the strongest set of legs I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. She she give him a run for his money. But I see the guys and I say, "How's it going?" And uh, and I and I run into Josh Larson all the time and his and, and his his fiance. Um, and to a man, they just talk about, "Oh man, I just connect so well to Sione." Um, He's 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 ta he takes the extra time to talk the tiny little things in technique, and I just feel like I'm going to be a really really good player under his tutelage. So it's it's just fun, and they just love him. Yeah, I thought so. I thought we got a good taste of of that his communication skills. Next week, Kyle Van Noy will be with us, and we'll also recap the West Coast Conference tournament, which starts on Thursday on BYU TV, and then in March on March 14th. A couple of former BYU TV guys, Michael Miner and Russ Merrill, who were the pioneers in, in um, the development of BYU TV sports, especially live sports. And David Phillips, who's the current guy in charge of all that, they'll join us um, on March 14th. And we'll kind of have a history lesson as to the technology of broadcast sports in regards to BYU as they hand over a lot of things now to the Big 12 and yeah. uh, that's going to be a, a fascinating, reminiscing, uh, well, we, special time. You and I, we went to lunch with, with the two of them to, to talk to them about the possibility of coming on. And about two hours later, when, when we had just reminisced about some of the, the biggest moments in the history of BYU sports, where they were front and center covering it, every one of them, whether it was live broadcast of it or there with cameras to document it for BYU for the archives and to have it for later... Every major thing that has happened in BYU sports, those two, for the last 30 years, and Russ for even longer than that, have been a part of. We got done with a lunch, and then you turned to him and said, this is the show. When you guys <laughs> yeah, come by up, the way, this is the show. Th that's what we're going to do, because <laughs> it's going to be really fun um, to take you back and say, we can just go, where, where's Walt? Where were you when Ty Detmer won the Heisman Trophy? Yeah. Because they, they, they were there. put the broadcast together. So that Ty could be live from Hawaii on the broadcast, and there's many, many more of those. Oh, so yeah. we'll, we'll we'll take you back to some of the biggest moments in BYU sports history. So that's March 14th. Chris Hoke, two-time Super Bowl champion with the Steelers, will be with us on March 21st, and then on the 28th, Elaine Bradley, the drummer for Neon Trees, will be here, and our friend Max Hall will be back with us ahead of the alumni game. Wait, are you giving it away? No, I'm just saying he's on the show. Oh, before the alumni game. Yeah. Everybody, He's defending champ. Well, here's the thing. We're not going to tell you who the other guys are, but everybody <laughs> knows that Max is going to come back and defend. You have to after you threw a defend Hail, Mary. His Hail Mary to Brian Keel yeah. and defend the championship. So right? we'll get Max on, and, and then we'll have Max talk about uh, the matchup. So my, my thing, when we bring Elaine on, um, she's one of the greatest drummers in the world, period, right? Um, 
Do we have a drum set here for her of any kind? No, she could pound on the desk, maybe. Oh, maybe. Hey, Jack, can we get a video of her playing drums? Maybe she's gonna yeah. be. She's gonna be great. She is ridiculous. We're one of the greatest drummers in the world. The drummer for the Neon Trees, Elaine Bradley, is coming on us on March twentieth. It's gonna be fun to have her. Our next guest, as What's you see up, him brother? settling in, is a former Valley Viking and Gatorade Player of the Year in Las Vegas, Junior College Player of the Year at Dixie in nineteen ninety one. Ran the ball for two seasons at BYU. Married a BYU gymnast. Created three more BYU athletes, including quarterback Jaron Hall. Maybe four more as we run down the family, which we will in just a little bit. A pleasure to welcome former Cougar Kalen Hall to the Wise Guys. How you doing? Doing quite well. How are you? Good. What do you think of Sione in that edition at the on the defensive you, you line? You were here and got to listen to him for a little bit, right? You. Uh, Sione's a great guy. Um, he's uh, an amazing addition to the staff. Um, his value goes much deeper than his knowledge. It uh, goes into areas in which people will learn to love and learn to see. And the depth in uh, recruiting and just uh, the whole making of the man is something that, you know, the BYU uh, fan base will truly embrace and understand how big of a signing that is for the program. So When he's here... Um, you know, he played at Utah, obviously long after I played at BYU. And I'm like, man, I wish I was this guy's teammate. <laughs> like, you can just tell he would have been an amazing teammate, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So. Well, just a great person. Just yeah. a great person. You listen to some guys, and Kalani has that gift, and you've had coaches in your life with that gift, and, and maybe you are a coach for other kids with that gift. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But it, it seems like he can get you to run through a wall. And, and that's different from someone just yelling at you. Yeah, you know, honestly, um, in today's world, kids don't really do well with just yelling and screaming at yeah. them. I mean, you have to find other ways to motivate them. And uh, Sione is, uh, you know, just his personality um, is one that uh, sends the, the message that uh, he's uh, someone who has your best interest in mind and that he wants you to be able to have the maximum potential that you have come to fruition and come forward. And so with that being said, it's genuine and authentic. So it's easy for young people to uh, play really hard for him. And it's easy for them to, uh, to get more out of themselves when they know that this individual knows and, and knows that they have the ability and he just wants the best for them. So it, isn't it interesting? Like you and I both played for Lavelle. Yeah. We have that in common. We're, we're always brothers because we, we played yeah. for the same father. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, Lavelle had that about him, right? Where mm-hmm. you just, like, there was never any question that Lavelle cared more about you, um, your the person and what you were going to do and what you're going to make your life than he cared about what was going on in the football field, which allowed him then to say, hey, Jared, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. And you're like, well, he cares about me, so of course I'm going to do it. Um, is, is that the hallmark of great coaches, that, that players know that they care? Is that the first step in being a great coach? I think so. I think uh, in lieu of um, all of the, the things that are going on in social media and how some kids get skewed with all of the fast-paced elements in life, I think it comes down just to the genuine nature of, of what people feel. And if you feel that this person genuinely cares about your well-being, then it goes beyond uh, the surface elements that come into the sport in today's world. Uh, it goes beyond the elements in which I think young people get caught up uh, in today. Uh, it allows you to really become vested in your future because this individual, you can generally tell, cares about you and what your self-worth is to them and to yourself. And so I think it's just something that – 
allows a uh, a player or a young man to feel comfortable and confident. So, Kaitlin Hall's with us on the live guy, uh, wise guys, and we're going to talk about um, some great moments that you've had at BYU, including the showdown with Marshall Falk. That's coming up just a little bit. Yeah, we're we're talking about your kids. <laughs> we're going to talk about, but then we're going to finish with like let's reminisce let's about go the down days, there. Oh, about yeah. the good old Back days. In the day. Reminisce. I love to reminisce. But we'll do it. Top of the headlines is with your your son Jaron, who ha- is going to be at the combine on Saturday. Yeah. And um, this is such a big next few months for him as he gets ready for the for the NFL draft. So first and foremost, how's his ankle? Uh, it's, it's doing okay. I mean, obviously, uh, a high ankle sprain uh, takes a lot of time. You know, especially when you're a for, uh, you're a force guy. You know what I mean by that is he throws with twitch and emotion and and power and torque and his lower t- his lower extremities are you know part of the things that really drive the ball down the field and allow yeah. him to the boogie and dance laterally and so high ankle strains are not conducive to doing those type of things uh, you know effortlessly and so he's still you know healing up uh, you know obviously it's not 100% still but um, you know the the people that know know and uh, the individuals that have been around the game understand that process and so he's just uh, you know he's been well, we're living in California yeah. training mm-hmm. for the last John Beck was on with us the yeah. other day he's talking yeah. about us John loves him and thinks his potential is just Yes, yes. You know, sky high. How, how disappointed, because even with them knowing it and, and evaluating other things, he was having a phenomenal week at the Senior Bowl, and, uh-huh. then, he tw- and then he tweaked it, yeah. which kind of kind of shut him down. Was he really disappointed? Because he was rolling that week. You know, he was. Yeah, he was upset. Uh, he was like, man, um, you know, I'm, I'm putting things where I need to. Uh, the ball's flying off the hand. Uh, and bear in mind, he hadn't thrown a ball really in that type of competitive environment since the game against Stanford. Oh, right. wow, yeah. Because he only had a couple of weeks, really, to kind of train with John prior to the Senior Bowl. And so, you know, he started getting into the throws. But once he started to get fatigued, you know, and then he tweaked it, and it was like, oh, man, I'm not really able to, you know, distribute it to rock, you know, the ball mm, the way I yeah. want to on time. I mean, it's not the it's not the seven-on-seven stuff. It's team stuff live where you got to come off uh, foundation and you got to make a throw where you don't know where the throw is going to go, right? Those are the ones that – can typically, you know, come off high or low because, you know, you don't have the balance and the ankle's not as strong mm-hmm. as it should be. And so, but he was, he was disappointed, but yeah. you know what? It's okay. You know, he's, the, the he's, good, the good news is, is that he had a few days where he was pretty sound yeah. and everybody was going, Whoa, yeah, he's looking great. And then yeah. the injury kind of took him out, but he had a chance to showcase it oh, first before yeah. that. So that's the bright side. Yeah, of that, right? hey, hey, and look, the metrics behind all of those things are is simply this. Uh, he had two years of film that shows right. that he can make every throw in the book. Uh, he's bigger than a lot of folks thought. He's thicker. Well, they measure him all out. They're like, yeah. oh, he's yeah. taller than we thought, he's right? He's taller. He's thicker. And, I mean, he could get thicker if he needed to. Uh, and so I think the important things uh, in the interviews, I mean, he had a couple of GMs that said they were the best interviews they've ever heard. That's we're not awesome. surprised. So, not, we're not, not surprised. Bit, uh, not that. a bit surprised. And that's and, and really, guys, that speaks in volumes in today's society. When you think about a quarterback who's going to be the face of your franchise, mm-hmm. it's going to be the foundation. Uh, you don't really want to deal with things off the field. or You don't want to deal with uh, circumstances that could be suspect, right? When in that billion-dollar industry, they really don't have time to deal with those elements. Right. So. So what does dad hear about 
the draft and rounds and potential there. What what do you what's your take? I, I don't I don't hear and I don't listen to anything because at the end of the day, uh, it's like what I told just even yesterday. I was telling uh, Jaron, that's like, look, uh, you know, you're getting ready to go down to the combine. Uh, just go uh, follow your dream, right? Do uh, do what you do normally, what you've done since you were in eighth grade. I mean, since you're eight years old, have fun because very few people get the opportunity to go to the combine. Very few yeah. people get the opportunity to be pronounced one of the top quarterbacks in the country very few people get the opportunity to even be drafted and so uh wherever the lord has has a has an idea of, uh, where and a plan for you and where you're going to end up being then just know that that's where you should be and it's going to be the best place for you it's interesting so. we, we were talking to john and john's like i don't care where he gets to. i he goes i care more about the opportunity of where he goes and we kind of got into zach going to the jets when we all had hoped he would have slipped one more to, to the Niners, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and where he would have had a better opportunity with better players around him. So, um, but but the hard part about the NFL draft is you don't get to choose, right? Mm -hmm. So you kind of go and make the best yeah. of the moment. And I'm, I'm certain that Jaron has that mentality, right? It, it doesn't matter. And, and for him, he just wants to show everybody who he is and understand <coughs> the fact that he's only really had a couple of years to put really into football. You know, uh, that's something that. As the years go on, he's going to get better and better because he is 110% all about the game of football right now. And, so. and, and, and of course, Kalen's referring to the fact that he split time between baseball yeah, he can hit fastball. And, 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 and football <laughs> um, and was an amazing baseball player. You know, Mike, Mike Littlewood told me, mm -hmm. hey, if, if, he would get, if he could see this many pitches a year and, and bat, he's a high draft pick mm -hmm. and can play Major League Baseball. He's a Major League Baseball prospect. And so... He kind of split the two for a long time. And then it's just the last couple of years where he said, I'm going full go into this. And so what you're saying is, and you're the closest to him, that his upside potential is a long ways off. And he's already at the level to be able to compete. But his ceiling is really, really high. High ceiling. I mean, at the end of the, at the, end of the day, when you think about quarterback, and it's even reaching down into the high school levels. Even when Jaron was in high school, he wasn't going around doing all the combines and the uh, – you know, the lead 11 things because he was busy playing baseball, right? Yeah. And even kids that are playing right now that he played against, they were all just doing football stuff. And that even leaked into where he had a two-year hiatus on his mission, didn't do anything. And then he came back and he was splitting time once again. So his mm -hmm. entire career, he was only doing football primarily for the last year and a half or so. And so when you talk about the optics of reps and, you know, a thousand hours of mastery, he really is just getting all those things started. And so, yeah, he, Sky's he's, got a, the limit. He's, got, he's got a high ceiling. So. Alabama's quarterback announced today that he's not going to throw on Saturday at the combine. And, and a lot, Good. There are things that, <laughs> that, that guys will and, and will won't do. Is, is Jaron worried at all that the ankle might keep him from uh, – from doing everything on Saturday? Yeah, he's going to do what he can. You yeah. know, at the end of the day, uh, the, the optics are what they are, and he can't concern himself with that. He just needs to be in a position to do what's best for him and where he can make the best showing for himself. And bear in mind, he has a pro day coming uh, yeah. later on in the mm -hmm. March, which, again, gives more time. For that ankle to heal up. And the draft's not till the end of April. And the draft's not till the end of April. And then you have the individual workouts. And, you know, there's a lot of elements still involved where those that are not really close to the game who don't really understand the little intricacies that go into it. You know, it's a business that you have to make the right type of business decisions that are ultimately going to help you to be able to put on the best show when you're ready.
So. And, and it's interesting. People will remember that that Zach Wilson's stock um, took its biggest jump during this whole process on his BYU pro day. Oh yeah, with, yeah. The, with the throws he was able to make there. So, yeah. um, what was the process like um, for you as a family, for him personally, um, as he was making the decision? Do I do I enter the NFL draft? Do I come back and play another year in the Big Twelve? Um, take us through that process and and. Um, and how the family and, and Jaron arrived at what, what he wanted to do? Uh, to be honest with you, I, it, was a, it was a really tough decision for him, unbeknownst to me. I didn't know that he had second thoughts about uh, entering the draft. I always thought, even before the year, that you know, this was his last year, and you know, regardless of what the circumstance is, he's going to go ahead and live out his dream. Chase his dream, right? Yeah, period. And so well, when he told me you know, a couple of weeks after, well, a week or so, two, two weeks after the Stanford game, I was taken back a little bit. I was like, okay, this is, it was literally the first time I'd heard that he was having second thoughts about entering the draft. And so, you know, I do what I always do. You know, I was like, hey, let's take the pros and cons. Let's look at uh, the things that you believe would keep you in school. And let's look at the things that you b would believe that would cause you to, de to declare for the draft. And I said, ultimately, this is your choice. I have no skin in the game at all. Because it's not my dream, right? I, I said, this is your dream, son. And I don't care either way. I mean, you come back, that has to be your deal because then you have to live it. I'm not going to tell you to enter the draft and it doesn't work out the way you want, or I'm not going to tell you to stay and that doesn't work the way that you want. Ultimately, it has to be your decision. And so he took some more time uh, after conversations with uh, Coach Sataki and Coach uh, Roderick, and uh, he put some, uh, some prayer into it, and he made the decision that was in his best interest for where he believed that he needed to be. And so, honestly, I didn't have a, an opinion one way or another because I always initially, like I said, thought that it was a foregone conclusion yeah. that he would enter the draft. And so, I, and I should tell folks, so, so Kalen, Kalen and I see each other Kaylin and I see each other during the year all the time yeah. and for the, forever. Yes. Right. And, yeah. and we get talking and um, it, now Jaron's the starter and like we we're I don't know how many games into his first year starting. And I'm like, Hey, how, what's, what's, what's Jaron thinking about this? And, and Kalen says, Lane, like we talk a little bit of football, but hardly ever. Mostly we're talking about kids, family, church, other stuff. He says he gets so much football that, that when we're together, I just need to be his dad, yeah. which I thought was really, really cool, by the way, and I've, res yeah. I've respected that. And Where so did you learn that? Because there's not a manual that comes with being a dad. Uh, we, we figure it out as we go, just like our dads did. But th this is a, a lot of us want to just get in there and say, here, son, I think this is in your best interest. But you've had a very athletic family. We've had a lot of kids come through. And you go through collegiate sports. You know what it's like to be a, a, everyone cheering for you in, at, at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. So where did you, where did you get the, what you just said of, you know what, I, I'm smart enough or, or, or love him enough as his dad to just say, I support you. But this is yours. You know, um, and just to be honest, I just, um, I, lo I love the game, mind you. I love it. Absolutely love the game. But, you know, I love my kid more, right? And so I did not want all of this to be just about the game, right? Even though I'm so proud of everything that he's accomplished and the things that he's done on the field and the man that he is. But I'm just so much more proud of the fact that he's a good person. And I wanted to relish those things 
because so many other people, you know, they give praise about all the athletic things, and that's fine. That's great because he's worked hard for that. But at the end of the day, man, he's a phenomenal person. He's an outstanding human being that loves others and puts others before himself. And those are the things that I wanted to make sure that he knew that I was proud of. Like some people would tell me often, I heard it many times, hey, you don't post about your kids, you're not proud of them, you don't put Facebooks. I like, I said, you know what, guys, I'm proud of it, man, I love it. He worked hard, darn it, that's what, this what, that was expected. Those are expected results, that's the thing. And I always told Jaren, I said, Jaren, this is no different than we've always talked about. We've always known, regardless of what anyone else has thought, that you would be in this position. So I've given you praise many times, and he knows this. He knows, and the people that know us know that, hey, yeah. this is just a process of what we always thought we were gonna, was going to happen, regardless of what anyone else thought, and regardless of the circumstances. We always knew this was an ending of, of the story for his yeah. football career. It's, fu- it's funny because I'd say, I would, I'd ask about something, Caleb would say, well, we were talking about this and this and this, but... Hey, you go to practice. You tell me what's about this. And I say, well, he looked really good doing this. He looked really good doing that. He goes, oh, okay. And then we would talk about family, right? right. Which, so, right. so I learned a great lesson from Kalen um, over these last couple of years about how it really is supposed to be done. Which of all the plays are you most proud of for Jaron at BYU? And I have an idea there might of two, but I'm thinking, but I, what, what do you think? Yeah, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> There were a few. <laughs> hey, look, I, just to be honest, I don't, I don't know. There was, there was a lot of plays, but I mean, he just. There's not one that stood out that, like, uh, for example, running, not giving up on the Arizona State interception, yeah. and it was Algier who made the phenomenal yeah. play, but Jaron had to run 60 yards mm-hmm. to be there to get back on the ball, and and I'm not so sure everyone would have done that, but uh, that that was him. But again, that's expected though. Like just like I said, in high school he threw four interceptions in the first half of, of a game his uh, his sophomore or junior year, uh, his senior or junior year, and this, you know he was a little upset and he was, he was taken back from that, and then you know I just went down and I and I said a little couple of words. I said, look. You know what? That's a process of life. How do you react to that? That's the big thing. How are you going to react to this? Second half, he threw for 400 yards, threw four touchdowns, and ran for two. And then he threw the game-winning touchdown with 10 seconds left to go in the game. I was like, okay, well, that's like the expectation. So what? You throw an interception, you go run it down, right? I mean, if, 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 if many of you look at the play, Jaron was coming up on the guy at Arizona State. Then he saw Algier ahead of him. Then he slowed down a little bit because you're like, okay, this guy is more physical than me. I'm going to let him go ahead and bang. Wise move. It it was kind of like, it's like, okay, I think something special is about to happen. I'm just going to be around just in case. And so I I did appreciate the effort, but that was expected, right? That was expected. If you did something to put your team into this situation, then you need to try to help the team get out of it, just the bottom line. And then, I mean, obviously he made some – and he made some throws. You know, he made some throws. I mean, the Baylor touchdown he threw. Oh, babe, that was beautiful. Uh, the, 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 the post pattern he threw to uh, Keanu against USC. Beating Utah uh, was big. He, I mean, what, you know, it happened in 12 years, right? Right, and this, right. His, right. And on three broken ribs, mind you, right? Yeah. Just gutting it out and playing pretty much uh, flawless in the game that many people didn't give him a chance to. I mean, but again, it's just – you know, this, the, uh, he's my son, but man, the, the the guy's got a lot of it factor. I mean, yeah. and once things get to a point where he's in a room with a lot of professionals, you know, folks are gonna see some stuff, right? So, and and, and there's there's a lot of guys um, that you and I know that can just sling the ball around. Mm-hmm. They can throw the ball around. They're great athletes. There's a lot of those mm-hmm. guys. 
Is the it factor what's going to make the difference between him having a great pro career and an average pro career? Is that the difference maker? I think um, I think it holds a lot to what's going to make a difference in his career. Um, he's a special person that's going to work uh, just relentlessly to be the best. Not going to talk about it, right? He's just going to go out and do it, right? He's not going to have big uh, platforms for discussion. You know, he, he's going to be a team guy first. But while he'll quietly be doing a lot of stuff that a lot of people don't see, and he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not gonna care about the endorsements and all that stuff. He's just going to be the same guy that he's been for twenty something odd years, and so yeah, the it factor is just, there's different elements to the it factor, right? And he has the athletic it factor, but he also has those other intangibles that go unforeseen to the the mind eye, but to those that are really understanding of the game and understands that the NFL game is a different game, okay? You're going to have highs and lows. How are you mm-hmm. going to react to the lows? What are you going to do when your chips are down, when you're down on chips, right? What type of reactions are you going to, to give to your teammates, to, your, to the franchise, to the fan base? And how are you going to, you know, persevere through all of that? So, Are you ready to start talking about yourself? Yeah, I don't know. Let's do it. Let's do it. We're excited about this. Let's start with your family tree. Yeah. Uh, you got you and your sons, KJ, Jaron, and Kyson, all playing football at BYU. Kyson's a freshman receiver. Yeah. Um, another son, Dawson's on the baseball team. Uh-huh. Your daughter, Matea, is on the Maple Mountain soccer team. Uh-huh. And, uh, and your wife, Holly, was a former BYU gymnast. So is she the MVP, clearly? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, always. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's one of the people. If you look around and you just go, you know what? We are. So blessed to have everybody in athletics, and um, and it starts with Holly. Starts with mom. Holly's a great. She's a great person, first and foremost. Yeah. That's where my 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 kids get their kind, their kind demeanors from because she's just a tender-hearted and wonderful woman that puts other people before herself. And my kids have all taken a piece of that into their own uh, personalities. And, uh, you know, she sacrificed a lot over the years. And my kids have seen sacrifice. Therefore, they're willing to sacrifice for others as well. So, Yeah, but your kids got some stuff from you too. Well, <laughs> physically, these are two thoroughbreds, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And, and you put that together. And so physically, they're going to be great. And then if they're wired right, then then you've got something. So yeah. um, we're, we're talking to, to, to Kalen Hall on the wise guys. So at 5'8", 195, you rushed for 1,359 yards and 13 touchdowns during the 92 and 93 seasons. Also caught 27 passes for 307 yards and two touchdowns. So Dave and I wanted to reminisce about some specifics <laughs> about the time. So September 5th, 1992, take a handoff from our guy, John Walsh. You run 22 yards for your first Division One touchdown against UTEP. Do you remember that play? Yeah, And what did that, that feel like? Oh, you know, again, those expectations, right? The same things that I put on my kids, I had on myself. Like, you know, I, I expected to get to the end zone. I expected to be successful. You know, I expected to make plays, right? That's just one of those mindset things. It was a great feeling, but again, man, I expected to do that. You know, I just needed the opportunity. I just needed the opportunity to run. You scored so, a bunch of touchdowns at Dixie, but what was yeah. it like at Lavelle Edwards Stadium across the goal? Uh, you know, it's it bigger. Bigger um, crowds, um, the emotion, the energy, right, that you get from the crowd was different just because there's so many people that were just, just excited and, and just uh, 100% into the game and into the Cougar, the Cougar culture itself. Yeah. And so it was a lot of fun. And then, you know, I was playing for people of my faith, and that 
had a little extra added, uh, you know, emphasis on being successful as well. So yeah, the, the next week, so it's not even a full week because you had a Thursday night game yeah. the following week against San Diego State. And now it's going to be a showdown. It's you, and we, we t- talked about this earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's you and Marshall Falk. Oh, yeah. Head-to-head, running back to running back. You had 15 carries, 143 yards. Of course, San Diego State gave Marshall the ball 35 times yeah. for 315 and three touchdowns. It was a 45-38 uh, shootout that the Aztecs won. I broadcast that game. Crazy. Oh, yeah. Um, well, first of all, what was it like to go back and forth? But I want before we even we want to point out that if we're going to per carry average, Marshall only averaged eight point five. You averaged nine point five right. in that game. So in my <laughs> mind, Kalen won the battle. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but what was that like to because because that's almost like and I know it's a team sport, but you're the running back on one oh, team yeah. and you're having a great game and Marshall's over there and we all know how great Marshall oh, was. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, what was that game like? Look, it was a phenomenal opportunity to play against a Hall of Famer, right? Obviously, being in the space of football, and we didn't have social media back then, but, you know, you knew who the guy was. You knew of his talent. You knew of his NFL uh, a potential. You just knew where he was going to end up. And so at the end of the day, I'm like, hey, you know what? I'm going to put myself against him any day of the week. Let's go. You know, it was go time, period. It didn't matter uh, the fact that he was a perennial All-American and any of those elements because at the end of the day, you got to take, uh, you know, let's like I said, I have faith in three. Like I always say about my son, I said, hey, I got faith in 24. Now give me the rock, coach, and, you know, we, let's see what's, where this comes. So you're watching Marshall yeah. run around, and, you know, you're getting the ball when then the offense goes back out. Yeah. He has a big run. You go back out, and you're saying, all right, give me, I'm, I'm going to get my big run. Oh, absolutely. I, I just get I, they blow for blow, right? <laughs> like a, and, and like the, a title fight. Exactly. But the only thing about it that I knew Marshall had that 4-3 speed. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, man, if I could only get a little more wind pushing down this yeah. way here, we'd be all right. Was, was it Dewey that was telling us one time, Durbin, I think it was Dewey that was saying, hey. yeah, the first three times I, I took an angle. I'm like, oh, crap, that angle's not going to work with hey. this guy. Like, you just run away from people. Did that, you get a chance to shake hands after the game? Do you yeah. remember that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Marshall's a great guy. He's a steward for the game uh just a phenomenal person and uh he's someone that you know i you know i i would consider a friend you know from a distance although you know we uh we knew each other just through the game and you know through uh, mutual friends do we actually play with marshall uh at at the at the coach a a few years later and so it it was fun it was fun to be able to have that camaraderie back and forth so you know there's sometimes and reggie bush did the same when usc came that one year where where even the home fans who are getting beat but when you're getting beat by someone who's better, you, yeah. ju- you tend to appreciate and go, you know what? I'm glad I had a chance to yeah, watch him This guy's him a Hall of Famer. Yeah. You said that about yeah. Reggie when, when he was there. He tip didn't end hat. up being because his career got cut short, but wow. Tip your hat. Tip yeah. your hat to greatness. Yeah. To great things are things that you should admire and you should uh, you know, should applaud. It doesn't matter what, what side of the, the, the bleachers that they're on. So Let's go to October 10th, 1992. You and another Las Vegan, Jamal Willis. Oh, yeah. Run all over Fresno State. You get 20 for 157 and two touchdowns. He goes 30 rushes for 129 and a touchdown on a day where the two Las Vegans gave BYU a 36-24 to 24 win. Oh, yeah. yeah, I remember. That was a great day. Great day. Jamal's a good friend of mine to this day. Uh, we played against each other in high school, youth leagues. So he was at Bonanza, right? He's at Bonanza yeah. High, and uh, we played against each other in youth leagues also. And so when I how, came— How old were you when you guys first— 
knew each other? Probably, uh, probably, uh, probably ten years old. Like Pop wow. Warner yeah. playing Pop oh, Warner. No, it was ten. It was ten. 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 Nine, and then, nine, and then they ended together at BYU. How cool mm-hmm. is that? That's pretty fun. Absolutely. And, and I think you know the paradigm of the offense kind of changed a little bit with Jamal and I. I think that Coach Chow and uh, and uh, Reynolds and Coach Ramage they kind of saw that uh, to incorporate you know dynamic running with the passing game could help us to you know, to win some games when it, when it comes down to, you know, being gritty and tough and being able to chomp down some of those yards where the passing game maybe was getting kind of bottled up a little bit because of the athletic deficiency, right, out there on the outside. And so yeah. I think that opened up their eyes. And Ronnie Jenkins came, McKenzie came. I mean, so we had some guys that came in after that ultimately, I think, helped to navigate the, uh, the game into another level at BYU. So. We just had Ronnie on a couple weeks ago. It was really yeah. fun to have yeah. Ronnie back. Yeah. So, yeah. So, October 31st, 1992. Now you get 22 carries, 117 yards, two touchdowns. It's a 30 17 win over then number 14, Penn State. Yeah. That was a, I remember that. This is a big win. Penn yeah. State not only ranked that year, but a historic program. Oh. Um, was, that, was that a memorable one oh, for you? Yeah. I, I mean, look. Joe Pa and I, you know, I grew up in, before I moved to Vegas, I grew up in, in Michigan. And so that's, you know, that's Big Ten country. Right. And State's just right there in that region. And so it was a big game for me because ultimately that was a program that was storied. And the history behind Penn State was such that ultimately, you know, you knew that they always had NFL guys. They were always playing uh, on the big games at the national championships or whatever it may be. They're always sending guys into the NFL, and so it was huge. You know, the history, and they had guys. O.J. McDuffie on that team, you know, yeah, Matt Branch. Yeah. They had dudes on that team. Kerry Collins, you know, so you already they, knew. They had some guys. You yeah. already knew. You know, these guys are NFL guys. You're like, you know what? Hey, we can play just as good, mm-hmm. you know, but we just out here in the Midwest, so let's go. It was go time again. <laughs> in those kind of games, and in that one particularly, where they can't stop you, and they're out here, and it's the elevation and the heat. I don't even know. But but for whatever reason, when, when BYU's offense is on the field, you're going to run all over them that day. Not many guys did that. Did you sense the surprise in their eyes or, uh, or what? Oh, man. You, you know what? Just being competitive, right? And, like, playing in the J.C. ranks, you know, I play from, with, with guys and against guys from all over the country. Right. And so you get to know, like, competitors, fierce competitors. And these guys were, you know, all-stars, and they were could have been considered five-star guys all going to Penn State and whatnot. The storied history behind that. But on the field, it was like these guys, like, what is going on? We can't stop these guys, man. <laughs> this, this, like, it was like they were in awe because it's like this should not be happening, right? We're Penn State. They're BYU. And, like, how dare they just march this ball up and down the field on us? Like, but we did. And it was because I think ultimately <laughs> – we had respect for the program, but not for the individual because they put their pants on the same way we did. Yeah. At least that's the way I looked at it. I was like, hey, man, this, 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 this is go time. Like, they strap their shoes on the same way that we do. So the only thing that's different is the history, right? So Yeah, I remember, So, and I'm a few years before you, right? But we had this mentality that we don't care whether it's Ohio State or Penn State or who it is. We're going to show these boys how offense is played. Yeah. Like, we just always felt like we had the advantage offensively. And, and you guys were an offensive juggernaut as well. Uh-huh. Did, did, did you feel like you had that mentality too? Like, hey, we're going to teach, it doesn't matter where they're from, we will teach them how you move the football and throw it and run it and do all of that because we know offense better than anybody. Absolutely. I mean, we really believe that it didn't matter who we played against, we could move the ball. Um, if we put ourselves in the right position, if we executed, and if we played with, uh, you know, um, violent football, you know, at the point of attack. 
And that was always the point. If we would play Violet and, and we were crafty in our play calling like we always were, if we executed that, we believed that we could score on just about anybody. So, Kaylin Hall's on the Wise Guys with us tonight. During your two seasons, you played in 22 games, 17 starts. You faced Notre Dame twice, UCLA twice, Penn State, and Ohio State. How big of a deal was it to play those schools and contrast it with this fall when BYU is going to play 10 P5s? Yeah. Oh, so, I mean, you always want to play against what is considered the best, right? If you are, 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 are a competitor, you always want to play against the best. And we had an opportunity to play some really storied programs. But, you know, they were just sprinkled in a little bit, you know, a couple this year, a couple that year. Now, when you take that and you say that, and, and it's, it's, it's kind of like when, I, when people ask me about, like, the last couple of years with Jared, I'm like, look, it's arguably one of the, the most difficult schedules that BYU has you ever, you ever, even ever You don't even have to argue it. Yeah. It's like Jared's played against more P5 schools yeah. than any BYU quarterback in history. Yeah. End of story. Yeah. And so my, my point with that was that, you know, when you're playing against all that NFL talent, then you get to gauge yourself. Because it's not just the P5. It's all the NFL talent that's on those teams. Now you fast forward that to, you know, we had five opportunities to play against a lot of NFL talent. Like talent that was throughout the program, whether it's a freshman that's not playing or a senior. In the program, it's a lot of NFL talent. Now what you're going to see here these starting next year, it's going to be an awful lot of NFL talent that BYU is going to be playing against. It's going to be tough, okay? It's going to be really tough. And people have to understand that it's not about the program, okay? It's not. It's about the NFL talent that you're playing against. Because that NFL talent can be at, you know, Liberty or whatever. But it's all about that NFL talent that's on, the, uh, on those programs. And in the Big 12, man, it's going to be an awful lot of offensive NFL talent. That's so. a great offensive league. And, and, yeah. and expectations, you don't have to put a number on games. We've, we've already done a whole thing where we have to do the over, like over-under and all that. So we've had to prognosticate and go on record. But you don't need to do that. Just your feeling about this first year in, in the Big 12 – can BYU compete? Can, can can they can they be in the middle of the pack? Like what what what's your thought on entering? It would sure help if they had a senior quarterback coming back. Yeah. But but but, but they went gone. and got another one. But they went and got a, yeah. a, a a guy that has played against P5s his entire career. Mm-hmm. So hopefully he can engineer the offense and be poised. What's your thought on all of that? Uh, man, it's yeah. What I believe is what Kalani went out and did on his defensive side of the ball has incrementally increased the success ratio of what the win-loss ratio is going to be this next season, bottom line. Absolutely love what he did. Um, we're going to see the benefits of that immediately. And so seeing the benefits of that immediately, then we take X amount of those games and put them over here at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. <laughs> uh, it's not easy to play there, is it? It's going, it's going to be different now, okay? It's, it's going to be some, some wins that folks didn't think we were supposed to get, and we're going to get them. And so um, wins, loss, I don't know. But what I do know is there's going to be a lot of surprise, especially when folks come over here to Lavelle Edwards Stadium. It's going to be some folks surprised. Yeah, just like just like uh, Miami was surprised. Yeah, they were a bit surprised, mm-hmm. weren't they? <laughs> you are the new head football coach at Maple Mountain High School. Um, Lavelle was a high school coach before he came, and, and, and your experience with him, uh, as you are about to embark on this, how much will you rely on the kind of coach Lavelle was for you to get the job done? 
So, obviously, you remember all of the quality moments, right, that Coach Lavelle had um, passed along to you, right, just through his teaching, through his actions, right? He wasn't a man of many words, but the things that he did embraced a lot of excellent qualities that men need to be when they're leading other young men. And so, from that perspective, uh, I'm going to take a lot of that, right? I'm going to try to lead by example. I'm going to lead with uh, with passion and, and emotion. And emotions are different for everybody. Coach Lavelle's emotions were feelings, emotions of feeling, right? Because you knew that he loved you and cared for you. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to emulate is the fact that, you know what, I'm doing this appointment. It's not a job. It's an appointment, right? This appointment to be the coach of my community high school, to be able to help to embrace better for the young men, right? And so you can only do that by showing them that you care because the more that they know you care, the more they'll be willing to share their true emotions with you. And so that's really what I'm trying to embrace with the young people in my community is that it's more, it's mo- it's more than about wins and losses. It's about helping each of you to, to be- become better men. And that's real talk. And that comes from opening the doors for people at your school, from watching the types of things you say, from watching the things you do. When you're in the dark, it should be the same as when you're in the light. You know, making sure these young men know that every move you make is a scaled event, right? And that scaled event should be doing things of a positive nature. And accountability has to be there as well. Unfortunately, today, a lot of elements of accountability have gone out the door. Amen. And that's not with me. And like, because I told the principal, I said, hey, be careful what you wish for. Because for me personally, it's accountability, right? I'm not a dictator. I don't don't get down like that. But I'm going to ask you to be accountable for your actions, always. And I'm going to ask you to work to exhaustion, always. And I'm going to ask you to be the type of person that you say you are, always. And those things are not to say that, oh, you're an aspiring Division One athlete, it's not about that. It's about aspiring to be a Division One person, okay? If you can be that every day or strive to be that, where you fall short, it's going to be pretty good. You know, and it's it's a it's a big like I think being a high school football coach is a calling. It's you know we all remember our high school football coach, yeah. and high school football coaches can have a huge impact on young men, yeah. and and. Parents need to remember that most of their kids are not even going to play Division One football, that's right. right? That's right. Um, that that's a big mantle to to take on to be that guy that for however long you're in that role, those kids look up to you. You shape their lives. Um, you make them really have a big role in who they become down the road. Have you thought about all that and the weight of that mantle as a high school football coach? Um, you know, to be honest, I haven't. It doesn't, I don't know. I've been coaching high school kids for a very long time. Right. And I've never coached my own kids in high school. Right. That's right. I forgot about that. And you waited until they're all gone. Waited until they're all, I've always coached, but I coached other schools while my kids played at the the local school. And so I've always given of myself. And I think in this position, I can do it the way I believe that it should be done. Not to say it's the right way, but it's just the way that I believe that it should be done. And when I speak to people, for whatever reason, you know, some or many parents think that I have some secret formula, right? Because all four of my sons ended up going to Division One, right? And so I'm like, well, it's no secret formula. You know, it's hard work. It's uh, dedication. It's, uh, you know, it's prescribed uh, chaos at times. And it's, it's, it's diligence in doing the task on a daily basis. It's kind of like with Michael Jordan. He said that, quote, today I'll do what others won't, so tomorrow I can have what others can't. Like, and I keep saying it to my kids. Like, yeah. do the things when everybody else is sleeping. Do the extra work. Do the extra training. Put in all the extra things that you know you probably should do, but other people aren't going to do. Because if you can do those things, you can be an excellent high school player. Now, 
to go to the next level, I mean, that takes some other You also have to have good yeah. genetics to make yeah. it to the next level. Yeah, it takes, that's and some, your mom and dad, things. if they're both freakish athletes, that helps, that helps. which that the, helps. this mom and dad are, right? <laughs> that helps. But but if you're just a freakish athlete, you don't have all those other things, you don't have a chance. And don't if, have a chance. And, and you got to put those two together. So are, are you prepared? Great, great stuff. Are you prepared to answer the phone on a Friday night at 11 o'clock from Jaron that says, Dad... Why are you running a ball on third down? Yeah. <laughs> and I'll Can tell you him, second guess? And I'll tell him the same thing. Mind your business. I'll tell him. Hey, I let you play, yeah. and we just talked about yeah, family yeah. stuff. Don't be calling me and tell me what to do about Mind your business. He already knows. My kids know. I don't need to care. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. All right, let's hit up five questions. Yeah, you ready get for you your five here. questions? Yeah, yeah. All right, go. so favorite sports movie? Oh, Remember the Titans. See, those are the two, um, those are our two most common. Of yeah. all the be- and it's funny because even we have non-sports people on. We have musicians uh-huh. and astronauts, and but we still ask them for their favorite sports mm-hmm. movie. And those two, Remember yeah, the Titans, and then then Sione's Rudy are the two biggies. So, but Remember the Titans has very little to do with football, though. That's right. true. That's kind of really the point for me. I mean, yeah. that's my reason is probably a lot different than a lot of folk. Yep. So, yep. But, so no, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that show. Favorite singer or band. Oh man, Elvis Presley, my favorite singer. So you're school. going, you're going old school. And, we had a, we had an Elvis uh, not long ago. Yeah, who was it? No, was it Justin Anna? Was it Anna? Yeah, I think Justin Anna said. Oh, Elvis. Oh, I love Elvis. Absolutely yeah, love yeah. him. Favorite breakfast cereal? Oh man, uh, peanut butter C- Captain Crunch. I would say. Ah, we've had a few of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's just playing Captain Crunch, which yeah. I don't understand. But. So you, you can imagine the shock on the show when Danny Ainge said uh, shredded wheat. <laughs> and then we, and we go, are you serious? Yeah. And he goes. Well, the kind that has the the frosting the on frosting it, the frosting on yeah. it, but and we put some berries. <laughs> in there. Danny had some heart problems, uh-huh. and, I, and so I know that that his dear wife is like keeping him <laughs> okay, keeping on the straight friend. and narrow. Okay. So that's all right. Um, he's like, fate, my favorite, or what I actually get to eat, and then <laughs> then he changed, and then he changed. So, mm. Favorite BYU moment, and it doesn't have to be on the field; it can be any BYU moment. Oh man, um, honestly, I, and it's 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 a personal one. It's. Uh, when um, Jaron had a long run against Baylor, mm-hmm. uh, had a touchdown run, and then Kalani was on the sideline just yeah. going yeah, yeah, yeah. crazy. And it was, for me, that was one of the moments that showed, uh, like, the true emotions, right, of Coach Sataki and, and the history of, of you know, of e- excitement and, and what the game is really supposed to be about. So, yeah. so that's fun. That's he was, uh, Jaron was, ran that 40 in like four something and Kalani was about 8.5. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true. Yeah, that's awesome. That's, that's true. awesome. Yeah. So um, we're talking about Jaron. So what, what's your, what's the favorite attribute? And I'm sure you have one for, for each of the kids and they have a lot. If you uh-huh. could pick out one about Jaron, what, what would be one where you're like, oh, this just really stands out to me. I love that about Jaron. Uh, consistency. Uh, his consistency of who he is. He's pretty much has, has been the same young person his entire life, and he, you know, he doesn't deviate regardless of circumstance. So, yeah, we we've had a lot it's of good. fun. We've had a lot of fun with him and great experiences with him. Yeah. We, and been, it's been fun for us to be close to him to cover him and. Yeah. Yeah, give him our best for yep. Saturday we'll be, and we'll beyond. Be, we'll, we'll be rooting him on. We'll be helping cover the pro day and. And uh, we're wishing him the best. We wish you the very best who, in this uh, new role as the head coach. Who does Maple you. Mountain open with? Uh, Payson. The Lions? Mm-hmm. Oh, these man. aren't the same Lions as when we were kids. Oh, no. These guys are big. Oh, yeah. They're that'll be, uh, that'll yeah, be something. That'll be a good opener. 
That'll be great. We'll Maple be, Mountain. We'll be Payson. watching Maple Mountain with great interest there as well, knowing thank that you. you're there. So we're so grateful that you would come on with us and share oh, some time with us. I, thank you anytime. I All appreciate right, it. Man. Thank you guys. The great Kalen Hall. We will cut you free and and uh, get ready for the big week. Hey, are you going? Uh, are you going to Indianapolis? I'm not. Okay. I, I got too much going on. So. Yeah, it's the life of a coach. That's right. <laughs> All right. Thank you. See you guys. Kalen Hall. Great uh, number twenty four for BYU. Took down Penn State and uh, and then uh, and then Jaron and um, it's given us some great highlights. Dawson had some big plays last year with the baseball team and and on and on it goes with the halls. One of the one of the um, when you think of families that have produced BYU football players in multiple right. There's the Fowlers. There's the Domans. But I'm not sure anyone has done more than the halls. Yeah, the halls and the Kafusis. Yeah. Might be right at the top of the and list. The, and the Hall's the immediate family. Right. And the Kafusis right. with the thousands of cousins. Right, right. And uh, so including the one that Sione married. Yeah. And we've, um, got, and we've, got, we've got three. Three that. Yeah, that, three in there. Three that played. Um, so, I don't know. We'll see. Like, I, it, you know, my thing is. Hey, I want Gavin at some point to be the head coach here, and then we'll really leave a legacy. Then the Fowlers can really leave a legacy, right? We can, uh, yeah, and he'll get us tickets. Yeah, that'll oh, be yeah. nice. Once Gavin's the head coach, you and I are taken care of. <laughs> so that's the key. It's always what's in it for you and me, right? It's, it is most so. of the time. Uh, although we're going to spend all week at the Orleans Arena, uh, so. you know, so we'll try to survive that. Let's get uh, a couple updates on sports on campus, and we'll wrap up with. With some final thoughts, yeah, it's been yeah. an awesome so we, we, show. We talked football. You want to pick it up with volleyball then? So, volleyball ten and four, six and zero at home. They stay at number eight. They swept Concordia three zero, a three two, this last weekend in in the, in the series. This week, uh, BYU's at Grand Canyon Friday and Saturday. That's on ESPN Plus. Their next home match is Ohio State at BYU on Friday, March tenth. I'm going to what what matches I'm going to. I went and talked to Sean after the game. Like you know how you and I told Sean we're gonna be, we're gonna be there. And I, so I went to watch a match and I, I walked up to Sean Olmstead after and he goes you came and I go of course I'll be here more times. So I think I'm going to Pepperdine and USC that are coming up here in March and and I go take those in. If you have place will be rocking over there. If you haven't been to a a BYU volleyball game in the Smithfield House. You got to go. Yeah, you haven't lived. You haven't lived. It is an amazing college athletics environment that is second to none. It's pretty amazing, and uh, so we had a great time um, at the at the match we went to, and and uh, we're planning on catching two more in in March. Softball teams eight and five. They went to the uh, Mary Nutter Collegiate Classic. Went one and three. Uh, Missouri, Texas A&M, and San Diego State got them. They beat Long Beach State. This week, they're at the Trailblazer Tournament down in St. George, where I believe there's no snow in the forecast. Yeah. Well, is there? Or tomorrow. For St. George? Yeah, but not this weekend. It's supposed to warm back up. Thursday, they got a rematch with Oregon State. Friday, they play UNLV and Portland State. Saturday, Idaho State. And they're still hoping the snow melts for the home opener against Utah on March 15th which is well, like the, 15 days, 16 days away. So. Doesn't the field have heaters under it? like the baseball Not theirs. Oh, man. Not the, theirs. Yeah, that's They got good. natural grass over there. Oh, that's right. That's right. So, so we'll keep you posted so, so on, on that. Other, on the other side of that, let's talk about BYU baseball. They're 2-6. They went 0-4 at Louisiana Lafayette. Um, so they, they play these big games in series. So today, um, uh, BYU's game at Utah Valley was canceled, obviously. Right? Yeah, yeah. You're not playing any baseball in Utah Valley right now with the weather that we've had. Um, and then the home opener, uh, Omaha at BYU, Thursday, 3 p.m. Mountain, 
I, I, we probably ought to just say weather permitting, right? Yeah. They so might was, take it to St. George. It, they you, might have to. Have you talked to our buddy Kevin? So. No, but I, I, I watch his forecast, and it doesn't look good. I think we're going to get a lot of snow tomorrow. Right, yeah, at least like here in Pro. So are you and I going to get out of here? You and I are heading to Vegas so. tomorrow. I hope we get out of um, here. Our, our Bruce is picking us up. Bruce Nielsen, who's, our, who's our, our ride <laughs> to the airport, is picking us up at 3.15 to go. That'll be great. I hope the snow is kind of managed by I that. I do, too. I do, too. So Gymnastics defeated Utah State Friday night. This week, Alaska is at BYU. That's Wednesday, tomorrow. 11 a.m. Mountain Time. You can see it on BYU TV. Women's golf finished second at the Gunrock Invitational in Sacramento. They had to cut it short to 18 holes due to the weather. This is a good team. Right. And uh, they're, uh, they're playing uh, Alicia May Mateo uh, fifth place. Next is the Julie Inkster at the Meadow Club Invitational in Fairfax, California, Monday and Tuesday of next week. That's the cool thing about golf we talked about. They go to the nice warm places. Right. While we're shoveling stuff, they're teeing off. Hey, Alaska is coming to play BYU or to face BYU in gymnastics. Yeah. That's the only team anywhere that could come and go, hey, you guys don't have much snow. <laughs> right? Yeah, what are you guys complaining about? They're like, hey, it feels plenty warm here. We don't even know what you guys are even talking about right now. So On this day in history, and before we get to that, we want to encourage everybody. Uh, hey, we're over 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. Thank you. Please keep going there and subscribing if you haven't. It's free. Facebook, it's free. Like us there. Twitch, it's free. Like us there. And, um, and that'll allow us to, to keep doing this show as we, we plan to do it for years and years right, to come. Right, right. Um, and it's just we're trying to give you as much access in the prime time. You know, BYU Sports Nation's in the day, which is great. We're in the prime time. And, and as a live stream, we can go back and forth with everybody uh, and answer questions and all that stuff. And as yeah. we get into the Big 12, that's going to be huge. Just yeah. turn on the mic well, and, and talk. And, and, and one of our... Uh, Viewers Greg Romano commented. He says, hey, th- thanks for hosting all these great guests. He said that Marie Osmond segment was insightful and hilarious. The athletes' memories and stories are not only personal but often poignant. We, 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 we're grateful to have you all listening and doing that. And one of the reasons we can get these guests is because the show's in the evening. Yeah. We're, we're on some of the shows we're doing um, over at BYU. They, they're not available in the day to come on uh, Sports Nation with us. Or, or, uh, but so th- this format has been really good. We're grateful to all of you for for joining we're great really grateful that we reached a thousand subscribers on youtube let's keep that rolling and you can um, go find all our interviews yeah. at ysguys.com danny ainge jimmer fredette yep. marie osmond the list goes on and on and on, on. And, on. and uh, we've had two great guests tonight with uh sione puhua and uh Kaylin hall that's just just outstanding all right on this day on february 28th a couple of Interesting tidbits, and then we'll wrap it up. Yep. 1849, the first boatload of gold prospectors arrived in California. The San Francisco 49ers get That's their right. name for Today, the California gold rush, right? They showed up looking for everything that was shiny, That's and you right. know what? A lot of them found some they stuff. They found some stuff. <laughs> so. 1850 on this day, the University of Utah opened its doors. Founded by Brigham Young. Of course. The Utes are coached by a player who graduated from Brigham Young. And in their last meeting, they were defeated by Brigham Young. I'm glad you added that last thing. So, <laughs> so in 19, you know what? Before I do 1940, I got to do 1935. In 1935, Kirk Fowler was born. That's right. Happy birthday, Happy Kirk. Happy birthday to my the dad. The patriarch of the gang. Yeah, 88 years old today. Is that right? Is it 88? 88. That's awesome. Am I adding that up right? It sounds right. It feels right. 
Wow, that's even crazy to me. 88. So as soon as Dave and I are done here, I'm going to run down and, uh, and celebrate the end of his birthday celebration. Awesome. 1935. So now I can go to 1940. Let's do it. Because we're doing it in order. First televised basketball game. Pittsburgh beat Fordham 57-37 to at Madison Square Garden. Game was televised by NBA, NBC on what is today the WNBC New York channel. So on this day, the first college game. Now yep. you can't turn the TV on without eight college games. So, All over the place. Yep. Uh, 1967 on this day, Will Chamberlain makes his NBA record 35th consecutive basket. Yeah, and how many of them are dunks? Well, they had to stop dunking because he kept breaking the backboard, right? Yeah, and I'm trying to think of the one he missed, but he made 35 straight field goals. Yeah, unbelievable. In the NBA with guys in his face. He was big and awesome and all that stuff. Still made 35 straight. Yeah, and he, and he, he had a 100-point game. Yeah. That's crazy. So you see Dame Lillard had 71 the other night? Yeah, and they knew it reminded me Jimmer did it three times oh, over yeah. in it's crazy. overseas. So, so <clears throat> 1983, the final episode of MASH aired on CBS – 125 million viewers. I remember. Yeah. Like we were watching. Mm-hmm. You had to. In Utah, if you grew up in Utah uh, and, and watched Channel 5 after the news, long before the talk shows invaded, they played MASH mm-hmm. reruns. And uh, I remember I would hear that music. I, wasn't be, I would be wherever, going to bed or whatever, and you hear the music come on. So then you know you miss sports. And that was kind of a bummer. But uh, it was very soothing. Yeah. And so today we said goodbye to MASH. 125 million. And that was back in 83. That gives you an idea how right. big of a show that right. was. So now we're going to do birthdays. I put Kirk Fowler's birthday in great events on this day rather that, than just, I didn't, I he, wanted des- to, he deserved it. No, I didn't want it to, I wanted to stand out as a great <laughs> event in history, not just a birthday. So now did, we'll do the birthdays. 1906, Bugsy Siegel, born in Brooklyn, helped turn Las Vegas into a mob hangout. Yeah. And so, now they're getting the Super Bowl, so you, and you and mission I, accomplished. You, you and I will be there uh, for the rest of this week. I've got to go back next week for another meeting. Yeah, that's a lot of Vegas. Mario Andretti, IndyCar racer, F1 champion in 1978. Um, uh, he was born in 1940 on this day. So Formula One's going to Vegas in November. I heard this. And you, I, I heard a story that, that the, the rooms where the windows face the strip where they're racing this thing, mm-hmm. those prices are jacked up. Because they, people can sit there and watch the race in their room. And there's million-dollar packages offered by these hotels for four people to come in that week, have a, have a sweet seat, a butler, oh and all goodness. this stuff just around Formula One. Now, they get the Super Bowl next year, but they're saying Formula One will be the biggest event ever in Las Vegas. Well, Formula One, like in Europe, is crazy, especially oh. like that Monte Carlo Grand Prix. A, a little, little ditty on Mario Andretti. So, so I grew up not far from the Watkins Motor Speedway, yeah. Watkins Glen, where the U.S. Grand Prix was run, and, and Mario was racing in that in that circuit. And you had to have like a point system where you win the overall title, and you got I don't know how many millions of dollars when you win it. If Mario wins the U.S. Grand Prix, he wins the title for that year, the mm. overall title points title for that year. Um, he won. My family owned a restaurant not far from there. He brought his whole race team into the back. Nice. And he fed them all. And then he left a regular tip on the bill. And then he came over to me and he said, I did a great job um, helping us out, son. You were the waiter? Yeah, I was bussing. Bussing. So, so you did a great job of helping us out. We really appreciated it. And he handed me three $100 bills nice. and handed them to me. Nice. So that, I, That's a great memory. Yeah, I always remember Mario Andretti for his <laughs> kindness because he did that for $300 me. $300 so, tip. Yeah. 1954, Brian Billick, former BYU tight end. 
Super Bowl champion head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, born today. 1955, Adrian Dantley, the great jazz legend, yeah. was born 1955. Scored a lot of buckets. Yeah. Our Wise Guys inspirational quote of the week is from Magic Johnson. Seemed appropriate as we head to Vegas for the tournament. Yep. He said, ask not what your teammates can do for you. Ask what you can do for your teammates. How about that? Is that a take on a Winston Churchill quote? No, that's John, John F. Kennedy. Kennedy. Yeah, is but then John Magic Kennedy? turned it around, and, and he was that kind of player, as good as he was. Uh, he made the guys around him better. So did Larry Bird, and that's why those both are legends. But uh, ask not what your teammates can do for you. Ask what you can do for your teammates. That would be words to live by for every team going yes. to the WCC tournament. Magic Johnson, like we talk about who's the greatest player of all time. The greatest teammate of all time may have been Magic Johnson. Yeah. Because of his mentality that everybody needed to be involved. I, I talked to Pat Riley one time. I had a chance to be sitting next to him for about a half an hour. We were just killing time. And, and he said to me, at the time, he's like, Michael Jordan's the greatest player of all time. But if I was going to have a draft right now, I think I would draft Magic because he's the greatest teammate. Like, he's the guy that makes everybody on your team better. And I think you want to build a team around that He guy. could play all five positions for the yeah. Lakers. Which was really amazing. He was an amazing teammate. Magic Johnson, I think the greatest teammate of all time. Our thanks to Sione Pouha and Kalen Hall, our guest tonight. The podcast will be up tomorrow. Uh, you'll want to listen to it. There will be clips throughout the week. On our uh, on YouTube, um, but what great stories and and uh, I really am excited to see the BYU defense. And now we've now had them all except for Gennaro. How, we'll everybody get Gennaro. knows how to say Sioni now. Yeah, po, he gave us a lesson. He's like Pouha, <laughs> and he says you say the ha, the ha, and so so we'll get Gennaro on maybe after spring um, camp, but. Um, what what an infusion of energy from this defensive staff. Yeah, and and you you know. Uh, Kalen mentioned it in a big yeah. way about how he thinks it'll make a big difference next season um, as they enter the Big 12. So fun stuff. Great guests tonight. Thank you uh, all for being with us tonight. And those of you that weren't with us tonight, if you're listening to this on the podcast later in the week or coming back to the sites and watching it again, we're grateful for all of you. We hope you have a great week. Next week, our friend Kyle Van Noy will be our guest on The Wise Guys. We'll see you in Vegas starting yeah, Thursday. If, if you get bored, just turn on the TV pretty much any time for the next five days and you'll see Dave and I. Yeah. That's what we do. That's what we do. We live for this time of year. Thank you for watching. Have a great week. We'll see you back next week with a tournament recap. We're going to go find out and see what's going to happen, and we'll talk about it next week. And, of course, football, because we'll be one, two days into spring practice. Yes. So some updates on that, Give too. some updates. Slovis will be throwing the football. Yep. Be exciting stuff. Good night, everyone. Thank you for being with us. We'll see you.